Madi marastangu. Madi. And then I'm also recording here. Ah, everywhere it's recording. You're not so fire so. It's you know, as you can see. This is what I have to deal with on on a weekly basis. You know, just this lack of professionalism, lack of <laughs> preparation, just you know, before I ask you you need to allow Shay. it's not like this man has a job or a family or anything you know what i mean it's not like he's got his responsibilities or life no, no it's fine a well oiled machine that just oozes professionalism it's really a standard for entertainers because i am good to go then are you good to go it doesn't sound like you i i was about you Good to go. Philip, Leroy, are you guys good to go? Yeah, I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> well then, sound of the Let me hear a drum Welcome to another episode of Two Broke Twimbles. It's your boy Danny that guy, aka Danos the Mad Titan, aka Denford, Wegumaraini, aka Denimbi, my life, your entertainment, aka I'm done with these streets. Put a comedian in front of me so I can smack his face. It's about time. Those guys have been talking too much. AKA Akuna Mumwenti Danimo. Welcome to another episode of Two Road Tribbles. And he's here with the only the unmistakable, the irrefutable, the unquestionable, the never catch me slippable, unstageable, or even slappable. Phil Chad, aka Flame Floss, the big boss, baby. The Fitza P. AKA Sexington Lovu, aka Filthy Phil, aka DJ Mukaradi. And of course, Shamwari. The tanky they were drinky. Dan, we got a special episode, bro. Special, special episode. Special nah, episode. I mean, special special episode. Welcome, welcome I mean, to our special guest. We've been on fire with the guests recently. You know how we do. <laughs> mm. uh, we kill the game. If you owned a DVD player, circa the turn of the millennium, there's no way you don't know who this man is. Because I, I got to give it to him. That, that, that distribution plan was... was <laughs> they were everywhere. Ah, They were everywhere, fam. You could not touch any street corner. Without them selling you that DVD, it, even, it wasn't even DVD. It was a VCD. Yeah, you need too much disc in that. The, the, yeah, the two disc Adam VCD one, VC, the Adam which just stops, <laughs> and then you gotta put in the next Adam. <laughs> <laughs> we we, we, we are very days. <laughs> we are very honored to welcome to the podcast a special guest, someone we've been trying to lock down for the podcast for a minute now, but due to scheduling conflicts, eh, in Zamasa such. Due to scheduling conflicts, um, <laughs> we were unable to do so. But finally, we have brought Mr. Leroy Gopal onto the podcast. Dan, why are Leroy, you know, our, like, welcoming sounds violent? Like, why, why can't we just do this? A simple, you know, everything <laughs> no, has to no, be no. like, w- just, 
Anyway, so um uh thanks for joining us, Leroy. Much appreciated. <laughs> Why are you sideways, yeah. bro? <laughs> I thought I thought it's you guys that are sideways, is it me? <laughs> no, it's you. Uh, there we go. <laughs> there we go. So as Phil has already alluded to, Leroy Gopal is a, an actor probably best known in Zimbabwe for his role in the, in probably one of the most famous uh, movies that have ever come out of Zimbabwe, Yellow Card. Um, but of course, yeah. Leroy has done many other things. I mean, he's an actor in his own right, and we're going to have a great time exploring the different things that you've worked on, how we even got there in the first place. And of course, um, I think, I think a great place to start Philip is to tell the, uh, the story of our most recent interaction. Um, you see, <laughs> Leroy, Leroy here was the, the esteemed main MC for the Nama awards, uh, that, you know, your boys mm. were the red carpet hosts for. So, you know, we were under yeah. pressure. It was time to change. You need to be wanted now. G, go and change quickly. I know. The place where we were supposed to change was occupied because someone was doing makeup was, in there. No, it, it, no, truth, it wasn't man. occupied. Kiki it it never existed. <laughs> Kiki Badass took your room, didn't she? Oh, no, I know. No, no. Guys, no, not right now. Now's not the time to crack those type of jokes. Now's not the time for several reasons to crack those type of of jokes. <laughs> anyway, why we didn't have our room is inconsequential. The fact is we needed to change quickly. So we were gaga 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 on Leroy's room. <laughs> and poor Leroy was getting ready to go onto the main stage. Leroy is going through a script. He's going through the script, making sure he's prepped for the night. We're like, yo, my man's. My man's, my man's, my man's. Can we get naked yeah. in your room real quick, bro? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to his credit, He didn't even bat an eyelid. He's like, yeah, cool. And, and but I know been, deep down he inside. Come to, he hasn't been coming through some like, assistance to help you get naked. <laughs> my man, deep he's down M-M's inside, M-M's was like, these motherfuckers. These damn. Thanks, Hammers to you, my guy. Hammers to you. Good looking out. Good looking out. Yeah, so, you know, then we went into his room, got naked real quick. So, fellas. <laughs> Although, you know. <laughs> I think a kapating gift you my eyes here. Kapating gift. Thank you, Gaga. Shout out to Manscaped for the boxes. Manscaped.com forward slash 2BT. And I mean, you may have noticed, Leroy, while we were in there, that, of course, you were dealing with well-groomed individuals. So yeah, manscaped.com forward slash 2BT. Get yourself a Manscaped kit. Mm. Uh, yeah, use the offer code 2BT at checkout for free delivery and 20% off. 
Man, you got to send me all those details, man, because I need me one of those. <laughs> yeah, we noticed, eh? We noticed. <laughs> no, um, so, of course, uh, Leroy, of course, now you're at the stage where you're, you're emceeing. I think second year in a row, uh, if we don't count the year that was skipped and it was done as like a, a virtual show. Second year in a row of you hosting the NAMA Awards. So here you are at the biggest stage in Zimbabwe. Of course, you're also developing your own career in South Africa. But I want to take it all the way back to where it started. Uh, in my understanding, we went to the same primary school, bro. In, in, I was also at Blackstone. Uh, uh, you were at Blackstone, Blackstone Primary I was at Blackstone. School. <laughs> Blackstone Primary yeah, School. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so... Yeah, you, I was no, in Judson. I, I Do you like, remember which house you were in? Judson, that was named after the colonial the, masters. Yeah, I was in the, I was in Pasco. Pasco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Past the green one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The green one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so you started. You started obviously in school. I'm keen to know when you actually started acting. Was that? Was that in primary school? Actually, I know when it was, but I want you this, to tell the story. This, this surely shows how old we are. <laughs> I started acting when I was 13 in high school. When, uh, Gateway. <laughs> when, uh, eight, uh, uh, Gateway High School, that's correct. Uh, my maths teacher decided one day that he's going to give up mathematics and go do a theater show. And I tagged along. And on opening night at Seven Arts Theater, sold out 1,500 people. And uh, the, the show started with me on stage. And when the curtain came up, everybody was clapping their hands and going crazy. And I said, yeah, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want mm-hmm. people to clap hands for me every time the curtain goes up. So that's, that's where the bug came from. And since then, man, it's here we are. So that's actually a wild story for me because I heard you talking about it um, when we did our in-depth research three minutes before this show started. Um, you mentioned that. Of course. <laughs> this, the turning point for you was your maths teacher quitting his job as a maths teacher to become a theater geek. And you're yeah. like, wait, you could do that? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of wild. It is absolutely wild, especially given the fact that, you know, um, my maths teacher wasn't your very typical, like, teacher-looking kind of person. This dude looked like an undertaker, man. You know, if anyone went to Gateway High School mm. and they know Roger Hawkins, they'll tell you, Mr. Hawkins, we used to tease him and call him the Undertaker. He drove a black Volvo. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Um, and, and so just finding a new space away from that, um, at that age, I remember taking my best friend with and saying, man, let's go do this. It was only the two of us in the whole class. Everyone was chicken, scared to do it. And so, or they uh, were cool. Or, 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 no, 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 no. Yeah. They were definitely not cool because that made us cooler. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it is a, quite a wild story but absolutely life-changing stuff man dope man all right so so what were you what were you in in high school what were you uh uh what dramas or theater productions were you doing when you were in high school when i was in high school we did a lot of uh there was uh, uh after i had done this theater production with roger hawkins uh, I joined the Shona Drama Club and my Shona Drama teacher, Miss Hove, at that time, uh, you know, we used to really write, she used to get with us and say, you know, what's happening in your guys' homes? Uh, 
you know, tell us about your parents. Uh, and then we would come up with plays based on being in our homes. So they became very relatable to the people who were watching them, whether it be students or teachers, uh, or when, if we attended competitions or festivals, it was really, really dope. So ever since then, you know, it was drama, it was commercials, it was adverts. Um, and then I think my, I think my real sort of like industry break came through when I was uh, 16. Um, I, I got to do a, like a really bad film, <laughs> but I'd never done film before. I'd only done stage. And it was a film called Choose Freedom. Uh, also an adolescent film. And when I tasted the film stuff, you know, this is the superstar stuff. Uh, so that got me hooked on that. And then I think a couple of years of some commercials and then Yellow Card came about, which also has its own wild story. <laughs> All right, we'll get to that. Let's finish, let's finish yeah. school to set Africa with Yellow Card, even though I think that was like mm. in your final years. But anyway, um, so... Um, I mean, you obviously didn't pay that much attention to academics. You were really focused on the drama. I know, I know this because. Usa, No, he goes around. He goes around telling everyone proudly and happily, like, "Yeah, I failed my O levels." Anyway, so it's like, okay, that's cool. But you see, Phil, you see, you need to understand that the way the school system is designed, it is not there to actually treat, to teach or to measure your intelligence or your aptitude. I mean, you can't measure a monkey's success by how well it can swim or a fish's success by how well it can climb a tree. You got to remember that. Don't just be following blind. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, <laughs> Fish, fish climbing trees is A level, man. <laughs> so, did you not have pressure from your mom about having not really focusing on academics and really focusing on your drama and your performing arts? Um, you know, I, my mom was great, man. Um, uh, she's still such a great, you know, uh, support unit in my life. Uh, I think when I was in school, I wasn't really, uh, look, I did focus on academics, but I wasn't inclined. Uh, I wasn't like the, I wasn't your A student. You know, I got by with the academic, uh, academics, but uh, the, the thing that was very concerning to my mom more than the academics was the sport, because I was actually torn between drama and sport. I was like one of those super sport kids as well, you know, so um, I had coaches trying to pull me out of drama, uh, you know, and say, listen, you got to come play volleyball. You got to come play rugby. You got to come swim. Uh, and the sport actually took up more of my academic time. Let's have a look. Can we, can we turn better, off your video, Leroy? Can we turn okay, off your video? Cool, I think it might help. He, okay, cool. I mean, we would love to see your face, but <laughs> yeah, sorry. Ah, so, 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 way better, way better. All right. So you were, you were, you were just saying that your mom was cool. Then it was like, uh, but uh, wait. 
Yeah, so so you know, my mom was really awesome. Um, she very 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 supportive. Um, but not only was I very much uh, drama inclined at school, I was very much so sports inclined, mm. and the sport actually took more time from academics than the drama did. So uh, you know, my mom had almost put an ultimatum for me: like, listen, either you drop the drama and just do sports in school, or it's school and drama. And for me, the drama was not going anywhere, but I excelled really well in sports. So I had to find a balance and she kind of helped me find that balance. So she was very, very, very supportive. Hmm. That's dope. That's dope. That's dope. All right, man. Okay. So uh, I, I think you had now mentioned that uh, you're now at around about the yellow card because you, you finished your O-levels and you decided that you're going to focus on drama, theater, film, entertainment industry, yeah? Yeah. So how did you how did you go about looking for work? I can't imagine that there was very much uh, in Zim at the time. What was that? That was maybe like the late 90s? Yeah, it was um, um, 99, actually, early 99. Uh, I didn't go looking for the work. The work found me <laughs> in a very wild way. I was actually planning to, so what had happened was um, in 1998, uh, well, for my A's, I left Gateway and I moved to Prince Edward because obviously you knew Prince Edward and sport was the place to be at. You know, if you're really great at mm-hmm. sport, you needed to be a Prince yeah, Edward. Yeah, because I'm going to go to the Prince Edward. Yeah, not me. I also went to PE, Leroy, you see. Yeah, sounds like Phil went to Chiredzi High or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know those people that wake up at four in the morning foremost, they got study sessions from four until six before they start school at seven you know dear field and now you got a chip on your shoulder so um i'd moved to prince edward to excel in sport um and did really really well and i was in the world schools rugby cup tournament which has only ever happened hey. once and it was such an honor to have played in it. But I broke my nose badly in that tournament. And after I broke my nose, I sort of like hung up the sport thing. And I started focusing on, on school and thought I'm going to move to America and go study psychology. And so I then had to write SATs. I flunked the first time. And then I went back to write them the second time. When I went back to write my SATs a second time, there was wait, Sorry, later, sorry later, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah? I think first and foremost... This is a long form interview. We don't have to rush. You know what I mean? I can tell you, a seasoned veteran, you've got to come in, get your stabs, get your points, get out. This is a podcast. We've got time. Let's expound. That. So that's one thing. The second thing is, you failed your SATs. Wait, what did you get? I don't even remember what my SAT scores were, man, but I know they were really bad. <laughs> so did you fail like all of them? Like, okay, let, let, let's, let's discount history. Because history. I most probably got like 300. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. Fab, I remember we took SATs for fun in lower six. No one in the class got below 800. <laughs> yeah, well, Phil, are, 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 you, are, you, are you the star of Yellow Card? No. <laughs> yeah. Did you play in the World Schools Rugby Cup? Uh, in 98 no <laughs> did you even have your own room to change in at the namas no 
We, we, we need to come back. Yeah. To so what, what position did you play in rugby, Leroy? <laughs> so yeah, anyway, I, I, I flunked my SATs the first time around. I went to go write them a second time around. When I went to go write them the second time around, um, there was a board that said yellow card auditions. And uh, I thought to myself, well, I haven't seen auditions in a long time. So I went to go audition and I was number 2,700 and something. So I thought, yeah, let me book my spot and then go write my SATs. But my mind wasn't even on my SATs anymore. Now I was just thinking of this audition. And I remember um, I finished my SATs way ahead of time. And they were asking me, like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I ran out of there. I went to go do my audition. And I remember when I met John Reba, the director, the first thing he asked me was like, how did you end up with this surname Gopal? It's an Indian surname. I said, you want to know my surname or you want to see me perform? He's like, all right, let's see you perform. And then we'll talk about the surname. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember Andrew Whaley, the writer as well, was there. And they thought, wow, I, they just found me to be quite amazing. Initially, they wanted me to have the role of... Uh, that was played by the late uh, 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 Colin, Colin Dube. Colin Dube. Who plays mm. the character of Skido. Yeah, he was on, on, para, on uh, Gringo. Um, as Gringo's uh, side, 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 what you call it. <laughs> yeah, co-star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and so they initially wanted to give me that character because they thought, ah, I'm just hilarious and, and all of that. But, they called me for a callback and they said, hey, uh, have you ever played a lead before? I said, yeah, I've been a lead before. They said, yeah, we want you to take the lead, but we need you to audition with all the, the women that are going to audition for the show. I was like, geez, man, I'm 18 years old. Who's going to say no to that? So I stuck mm. around um, and I remember they'd already cast the lead, which was played by Ratizo Mambo for the leading ladies. But now the role of Juliet, which is played by Kasama Mkumba, uh, which they had even come to South Africa, they'd gone to Kenya, they traveled like a bit of Africa looking for this lady and they just couldn't find her until Kasamba walked in and Kasamba I knew her from coming to the tournaments at Prince Edward and everybody used to think like, oh my gosh, this girl is untouchable, she's hot. And when she walked in, we just had like this amazing chemistry and I remember John Reba standing up and going, actually, this is our lady and this is our guy. We're done auditioning. That's it. You can close it everywhere else in the world. We're done. And that was it. And a couple of months later, we were shooting. Mm. Mm. I mean, um, one of the things about Yellow Card, like Phil sort of alluded to Mm. earlier, was it was everywhere, which was kind of a rare thing because even up to today, you know what I mean? A lot of people put... Uh, in Zim, and it seems like in Africa as a whole, but I can only speak authoritatively on in Zim because I've I've observed it. A lot of money is put into the production, um, but very little into the distribution or marketing of the film. But I, I, I'm going to read for you an extract from a, a newspaper in 1999. Um, this is from the IPS Interpress Service Agency. Um, and, it's, yeah. and it describes a Zimbabwean feature film, Yellow Card, charting new territory with its distribution strategy for Africa. The plan was for this movie to be seen by more than 50 million people all over Africa. About the sex and love exploits of a teenage boy from the township. 
Um, yeah, so the plan was for this for the first two years after its release in April 2000. So this was, I guess, in the in the final stages of production. And I'm like, yeah. yo, you guys were actually like, you were serious about this. Huh. Yeah. No, absolutely, man. Yellow Card was really, it was, it, this was in the height of the business of entertainment at that time in Zim. Uh, because you got to understand also the cinematographer that shot Yellow Card was the same cinematographer who shot Austin Powers, Sandy Sissel. And, yeah, bray, and bray. So, you know, in terms of like the quality, that's right. <laughs> um, and, you know, in terms of quality and, and just tech and making everything, make sure that it looks the part, it was really well invested um, and good funding as well. You know, we had big companies like Pathfinder International. Pathfinder International is the same company that, owns the Red Sox, the baseball team. So uh, it was really, it, it was really proper in there when it came to distribution. And also in terms of the message that we were trying to get across, because as soon as we were done, as soon as Yellow Card was released, we embarked on a world tour uh, for I think about eight months of which I spent just traveling the world far with this film and 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 speaking the message so it was absolutely you know well invested in terms of making sure that they hit that 50 million mark sure that's wild shout out and you see this is this is what we need to bring back now but i right, uh, what can you tell us about the the set of yellow card and um, your experiences on there, any stories that, that really stand out to you uh, while you were shooting the movie? I think for me, what, what really stood out on the set of Yellow Card was the relationship I had with uh, the heads of department. Um, uh, because, you know, this was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, this was my first feature film. So I really wanted to make sure that uh, I understand what I'm doing. So I had like 101 questions every day on set. So uh, I love the fact that the relationship that I had with everybody, you know, from John Reber, the director, Sandy Sissel, the cinematographer, uh, uh, Dan, the sound guy. <laughs> he was probably the coolest guy on set, huh? Yeah. It was really just phenomenal because then I was literally... Uh, because you know, I was really wanting to make sure that from the moment I, I, I come, I come off the set, I'm going to leave like quite rich within within the stuff that I was doing. So, the thing that stood out for me is how everybody was very much so wanting to get this kid, uh, which was me, get this kid like right on point, make sure he's got everything that he needs. Um, and so that's what stood out the most for me, and the relationship that I had, I think, with also my co-stars, I think Kasamba, myself, and Ratizo. Uh, Colin, even Gringo, uh, uh, Lazarus Bora, uh, you know, we all had quite a, a great camaraderie and, and a nice, like, you know, en entanglement on set. I mean, don't go to chemistry at you, you know, if I had, you know. How long did it take to shoot? 
So uh, it took us about four months uh, with a one-month contingency. Um, and we worked six days a week, 12 to 15 hours a day. Sure. Okay. Mm. Um, um, along those lines. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't, I don't mean to count your money, but for such a, a well-known and successful film, did you make a good bag on it as the lead? Um, I made a good bag on it, uh, but I've got to say this also, that the lack of knowledge, I think, on my part in terms of Um, you know, when I look back at Yellow Card and I think to myself, if I knew what I know now, then I would still mm. be making money from Yellow Card right now. Uh, mm. Sometimes it feels like I signed a bad record deal, you know, where like you don't own your music and someone's mm. making money from your music. <laughs> nah. <laughs> you know? The first deal is so always the worst when deal. I look, yeah, yeah, the first deal will, 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 will humble you, will discipline you. And so I... I I did make some good money at the time, but I, I could have been making more money. I could be making money right now from Yellow Card if I had signed a better deal, to be honest. Hmm. But, okay, so on the bright side, obviously, here is your first proper feature film, apart from the one that you said that you did when you were still in school. And uh, it's obviously such a success. It's a huge hit in Zim. It's a hit in Africa. Uh, I hope that that obviously opened up doors for you, right? That had people looking in your direction. Were you getting a lot of calls? Were people interested in putting you in some of their other productions? Absolutely. It, it opened up some really interesting doors for me. Um, I got to, uh, I got to audition for Matt, uh, Matt, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck for Goodwill Hunting. Uh, Cause when we were at the Cannes Film Festival, we actually, we actually shared a table together. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, so as you know, Yellow Card was also a, a Cannes, Cannes uh, nominated film, you know? Uh, so it really, it really, it, look, the one thing I think of away from the work, I think I got to see the world and didn't have to pay a cent for it. I got paid mm. to travel, you know? Um, so more than the work, I take the life experience when it comes to Yellow Card. Uh, because I also realized uh, after your call that there was a lot that I didn't know about the industry. I had, I had gotten a, a taste and an experience, but there was so much more that I didn't know. And if I wanted to achieve the things that I needed to achieve, um, I had to go to film school. And so that was the next move was I got to go to film school. I got to, I got to get inside this world so that I don't only speak the language and only walk away with a bit of experience, but I really wanted to, to get more than just experience. So um, I think, you know, the, the, the world travels um, really, uh, really, really, I think is what I took away from yellow card more than the work opportunities. Hmm. So um, to, to, to go back a bit, Uh, you, you mentioned yeah. that you signed a bad deal when you were making Yellow yeah. Card. I found that statement very interesting because I recall, and I, I just looked it up again, um, part of the funding for Yellow Card and the production was for the Media for Trust Development, which is an, was an NGO at the time. So it's interesting yeah. that even though it was 
funded by an NGO which had CSR goals and initiatives because there was like a social message behind that movie is the yeah. the main the leading man didn't get any equity or stake in the movie which is interesting yeah. um yeah. and now that you've been in the industry for two decades looking back at um the work i'm assuming it was a work for hire contract essentially because you didn't retain any yeah. of the the royalties or, or the or the ip that, that fee that they paid yeah. you was it a fair fee at the time or looking back you're like you know what actually i think these guys undercharged me i mean under underpaid me <laughs> now looking back at the time that fee was a good fee uh it, you know it really it got me into film school uh it, it got me set up here in south africa um um so in hindsight it was a good feat uh on its own away from um the the network seems to be dying on us again do do you mind sitting in a tree? <laughs> do you mind like if you go outside and just sit in a tree with the, or or maybe, or maybe like if you get like some tin foil from the kitchen and then wrap mm. it around your head? Cool. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you now. Uh, let, <laughs> let me just quick. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't have to wrap some foil around your head. Please don't do that. <laughs> nah, I got you. I can hear you now. Can you guys hear me properly as well? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, I take it then Church. after yellow card. Oh yeah, by the way. So sorry, just on the issue of the payment. I, I think. All right. So keeping in mind, obviously you're 18 at the time. This is your first real film, apart from some things that you've appeared in that weren't, you know, you weren't really that uh, uh, involved. I guess they were just supporting roles. But this is your first yeah. feature film that you're the lead in. And it's such a massive film. And you're 18 years old. Here you are. You're you're hungry and thirsty for more and more in the film world. I'm not surprised that looking back, you feel like it was you could have gotten more. Honestly, I I, I mean, you know, you didn't have much leverage. At the same time, you were new, yeah. and you probably would have taken whatever they gave you. But the fact that it was still enough for you to afterwards, you know, to to uh, set yourself up in South Africa, get into film school, uh, it sounds to me like a plus. Did you move to South Africa straight off the yellow card? Um, I, I, I went to, I went to New York for a little bit, uh, uh, because Ben, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon had said to me, listen, Leroy, you're great, man. You should really go to New York. You know, you'll do great there, buddy. You'll do amazing stuff. Don't go to LA, man. <laughs> See <laughs> Um, Isn't so, this guy casually you know, talking really to about his conversation with in New York. Batman and and Jason Bourne? <laughs> anyway, yes, yeah, sorry, continue. <laughs> so I did try to sort of like you know get my my feet into New York, um, but that's all a whole different ball game altogether. Uh, you know, I remember standing in a in a queue uh, in an audition line holding my VHS of yellow card and as the scouts would come out and they'll tap people on the shoulder and be like not you not you not you not you and i remember this lady tapping me and going not you and i remember running up to and go hey, listen man i've done a film uh matt and um, matt has watched this uh, you know ben and matt have watched mm. this and said i must come here you need to watch this you know have you got a vhs in the office you should go put this on just go put this <laughs> on you know and, and this happens to me a lot of times where 
I, I, I found myself at, at, at a desperate moment, you know, so desperate that I was thinking, I got to break into this industry in America. And then I had a little bit of a reality check and I realized, listen, that's when I think I realized, listen, I think I don't know what I think I know now. And maybe I'm not ready for what I think I'm ready now, you know? And so mm. I came home, I was home for like three months and I thought, listen, I'm going to go to South Africa. I'm going to go to film school. I'm going to learn everything I need to learn. And in my mind, I was thinking, I'm definitely going back to New York right after this. I'm going to go get that lady who told me, not you, not you, not you, not you. <laughs> this, is, this is fascinating. Okay. Um, so uh, you spent some time in New York. The, the, the not you's that came through were probably discouraging. But did you manage to get any opportunities while you were there in New York? None at all. Uh, New York was cruel to me, man. <laughs> it, it was, it was a bit of a reality check, you know, where I was like, listen, maybe I need to become an African star first before I become, <laughs> try and become an American person and stuff, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, New York, I assume to SA. Absolutely. Came to SA. Um, which was a bit of a, a shocker here, uh, moving to SA, uh, coming from New York, because, you know, SA is like a, a smaller version of New York. But uh, when I started staying here, I was literally living in the city. Uh, if you've been in South Africa, I was li literally living a couple of streets from Hillbro, you know, I was, or from Bree, actually, from Bree Station. <laughs> I was staying in the heart uh, of so you're right there by Summit. Are you in good company? Right? right? <laughs> Just around the corner from Summit. I've got no idea what you're speaking of. Uh, thanks, Phil. <laughs> ah, okay. It's okay. Yeah. I know not I've what just you heard speak about of. It, eh? I've just heard. I, I was I've at just the heard. summit I just of my heard. career when I arrived here. <laughs> mm. <laughs> at Hillbrow. Hey, that's a, that's, a dark, that's a dark summit, my guy. <laughs> okay, so... Um, <laughs> Essay, essay was was film school. I take it. So yeah, so yeah, so so um, uh, I straight up went into 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 film school. Garth Holmes, uh, who was the dean of AFTA at that time, had watched Yellow Card, um, and uh, when I when I'd written to AFTA to say I want to come study, he was like, "Listen, you don't have to say no more. You there's a spot waiting for you here." So again, mm. Yellow Card did open nice. up some doors for me that were not always directly a work door, but it really set up mm. some nice foundations for me. It made going into the industry easier. And even when I started in film school, I remember uh, my, my classmates were so shocked at just how much I know of the industry. Um, because initially in their mind, they were thinking I'm just another first year, just like them, but they didn't know mm. I'd, I've done some stuff, you know. I'd um, been in a movie. So really I had a conversation me, with Batman and Jason Bourne. What you know about me? Yeah, you know I what I'm get saying? It. <laughs> I get it. So, so it really kind of like set me apart and and created a beautiful foundation for me for film school when I was there in first year. Hmm. Nice. Okay. So uh, after after film school, where I assume you you passed with flying colors. I did. Oh, mm, and no then, way so after I film school, anymore. <laughs> now we have found this is this is the fish climbing the tree. Um, what was the what was the next 
uh, um, course of action there? No, uh, <laughs> mm. guys, I'm fine with that. Yes, <laughs> the monkey swimming, exactly. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. So film school is done. Yeah. All right. So you're now out of film school. Not only do you have a film under your belt, but some much needed experience. And now you actually have the academics to get into this industry proper, proper. What happens next? Do they come tearing your door down? Absolutely. They do. So in fourth year, uh, which was my honors year, which I got a scholarship because I got a hundred percent for everything I did. My man. Uh, I ended up getting a scholarship for my fourth year and uh, for my for my fourth year play, my honors play, all the students were too afraid to direct it because it was such a massive play. I did a, a play by David Mamet um, um, and uh, I got my lecturer to direct it and in doing so, I invited a couple of studios, a couple of producers to come watch my play uh, and as impressed as they were, Right after that, Dion Opperman, who was the producer of Backstage at that point, says, listen, when you're done with school, you don't have to look for a job. We're going to write you straight into Backstage. And so as soon as you're done with college, you'll have a job waiting. Um, and as I finished, I remember the following year, I went straight to the ETV studios, wardrobe, makeup tests, screen tests, and boom, man, uh, I was in a press meeting with the press going, wow, new hunk on TV, you're the new kid on the block. And hey. I was in. <laughs> hunk on TV. We love it. That's right. Um, <laughs> um, so backstage, this is 2006. 2005. You've done a lot. Of, there's no, 2005, Aiko. There's no point in us going through everything you've done because you've done a ton of things you've done you've done a whole bunch yeah. of, of movies short films tv shows um but i would like to know about some of the highlights um in the period say around about 2005 to uh let's say like 2012 13 in this period of time where you're a young man who's who's got essentially south african tv and film at his feet what are some of the highlights that you remember? Some of the, the, the main shows and TV shows that really pushed you forward? Um, uh, backstage was awesome for me because in the, in the second year of shooting that show, I was nominated for a SAFTA, which is sort of like the Oscars of this side. Uh, um, um, and then uh, I remember shooting uh, another uh, uh, Jacob's Cross uh, so I'd done a couple of shows and then I, I did a show called One Way, which uh, I portrayed a gay guy and that nearly sank my career uh, because for about three, the first three, four years of my career, all that people knew about or saw me as was, you know, the hunk on TV, the lover boy. Uh, and, you know, the media loved me for that. They, the studios loved me for that. You know, like if you needed someone to kiss a girl on TV and make people fall in love with him. They're like, get Leroy, he'll do it right. And so when I chose mm. this role, um, at that time, I thought to myself, oh, let me challenge myself. Let me try this, this gay role. And it nearly sucked my career for almost two years. I couldn't get work and nobody wanted to 
touched me because like, hey, you're that gay guy, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not that gay guy. <laughs> you know, so uh, yep. almost two years, you know, my, my, my acting career just almost felt like it had all ended. It was all stagnant. And then came along Jacob's Cross, which was sort of like my revival job where I came on as Jacob's lawyer. And I killed the English there, you know, thanks, thanks, Uncle Bob. <laughs> do, 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 do you know when I knew you could kill the English? I watched, uh, yeah. I watched an old play of yours on, uh, it's available on YouTube, or at least part of yeah. it. Uh, the um, uh, Can Tembas, what is it called? Crepascu. Crepascu, yeah. Yes. My man's was over there waxing lyrical. Yes, indeed. was. My name is uh, my name is Temba, and I'm here to. <laughs> you know, I, I, I I've never done any Shakespeare, and when I did that role, after that, I felt like bring on the Shakespeare. I think I'm ready now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. So, so I think just a double back. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I f- I find what you said very interesting there about playing the gay role because that was actually a concern that I had. Um. Um, we spoke to Chi recently, uh, Chi Zamende, and and we were, we were yeah. trying to um, get an understanding as to how her role in Generations affected her career prospects. And she had a totally different experience because I was like, yo, wouldn't there be social blowback? Wouldn't there be issues? Wouldn't people conflate the character with the person? And from her standpoint, yeah. she was like, nah, not really. Like that actually elevated my career. Um, I don't really, I didn't really yes. feel the blowback. My parents or my family didn't feel the blowback back in Zim. I, at, at the most part, I just get some inappropriate questions or inappropriate touching from time to time, but it wasn't too serious. Yeah. Whereas you on the other side, you're saying one role, yeah. which wasn't even your biggest role at the time or your most notable role yeah. at the time had this detrimental yeah. effect. And I find yeah. that extremely interesting um, why do you think so, that is like, so when I did this role, it was at a time where it wasn't so, uh, easy off the tongue to talk about it. It wasn't so, um, you know, for the lack of a better phrase, um, uh, cool. If you can put it that way, you know, right now it's almost like, uh, if you were to come out and say, Hey, look guys, I'm gay. Uh, it's almost like people embrace you and they go, Oh, thank you so much for coming out. This is awesome. We love you. And so that's why I think in the time that she did it, it was at that moment of going, well, you know, this is LGBTQI moments of going, yes, this is what we want. When I did it, it's before people were talking about it. It was before, you know, there were very few gay roles on television. Uh, you know, it, it, it was taboo to see a guy kissing another guy on TV, you know, um, and, and we had shot it in a way where we made it look so, so real and, and, and that it had happened. And so at that moment, it, it was detrimental to me because of how I also carried myself. I was predominantly carrying myself as uh, the lover boy lead. And so to then go on and do that, when I look back at it now, I'm like, mm, maybe not such a wise career move in that moment or in that era of, of television, you know? I mean, it, it was a, it was a very popular show though, wasn't it? One way. Yeah. One way was, was a very popular show. Um, it, it was one of the first shows to sort of like talk about how, uh, some of the experiences that people were going through here in South Africa, where married men 
were dating other men on the hush, you know? Um, and so that's yeah. why that story came out. It was really trying to tell that side of, uh, of my character side of the story from that point of view. And so um, when that came out, it was really more, it's almost like people, it flew over their heads, the fact that, oh yeah, this is a conversation we need to have, but it was like, no, why have you done this to yourself? <laughs> you know? Mm. You, you know, you know, Phil, so, you have to understand this is 2006 at the time TOK were making songs that were really blowing up the dance <laughs> floors, you know, and you know, it, it was that very difficult. The way it is. Do you know? Okay. Well, okay. It's a detraction. I'm going to come back to you, Leroy, but Dan touched on, on a point that I struggled to, to grasp. You'll always yeah. like remember when Haifa was a thing, um, a lot of the progressive community would, would flock to Haifa and there were people that you knew to be, to be, of the, the non-binary, the LGBTQIA community to, to attend Haifa. And then the DJ would throw on TOK. And the mm-hmm. people who are being told to be bent would be singing the loudest. And you'd be, you know what they're saying, right? Phil, in, in this context, you have to really pronounce the R. Burnt. Because burnt. burnt, please. Please emphasize the Arab. Because what did I say? What, what, wait, what did I say? What, what are, he said bent. They were being bent. <laughs> they were being... Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. They were being burned. They were being set ablaze, set alight. So, so just on this... Um, I, I'm, so I'm very... I'm still on this issue as well, but go ahead. Um, so the other thing now, this, you, you've touched on how this affected your career and these obviously problematic questions you're getting asked in, in, in auditions and callbacks, whatever that may be. What is it like for like your family and friends back home? Like were people not coming to me, cool, Liri, Liri, how do you, what's, what's going on about that? Yeah, absolutely. You got that. I really did get that. Um, I know my mom was not impressed at all. Um, a lot of my family was not impressed at all. A couple of my friends were not impressed at all. Um, you know, um, so, so that, that was, that also just added on the weight of the fact that, you know, it's not only just the audience, you know, sometimes you can sort of like, you can handle what the, the backlash from audience. Uh, but you know, when you got family support, it's like, I don't care what, you know, what your regular audience are going to say, you know, uh, but it made it a bit heavy because especially, you know, the number one person who was always supporting my career, my mom at that point was one of the first people to go, listen, this is a terrible career move, you know? So it was, it was difficult, but I had to really sort of like uh, move on from it and just try and rebuild and reconstruct from, from there. Mm. So in, in, in previous or other stories um, in the entertainment industry, there, there are examples of people who have, played roles of, of gay gay characters right and in the short term yeah it seemed like a bad move for their career but over the long term they started receiving support from people in that community because they took like an, the actor took the chance and represent them and and they've been embraced by those communities did you feel that same level of support from the the, the, the community or did you feel like you were just isolated and now you had been um, basically ostracized? Ostracized. Ostracized. Yeah, Definitely yeah, ostracized because um, at that time also, you know, um, 
uh, they're, they're you're trying to sort of like stand up for what you believe in, um, and you're trying to you know you and you know the more you defend yourself when everyone's sort of like pointing a finger at you, uh, the more you come across as though you either so I, I, would, I would either come across like I was homophobic, or I'd come across as though like uh, no I just did this because this is what I'm meant to be doing in my career right now. So definitely, very much so ostracized because, uh, you know, I, I remember sitting down with my management team and trying to go, okay, guys, how do we sort of like bounce back from this, you know? Um, and tried so many things like publicity stunts that would really sort of like just go, okay, cool, we get it. It was just a performance, but it was very difficult, very much ostracized for the mm. lack of a better word. Hey, it's like I've picked up a new word the way I keep using it. Very much mm. ostracized. Mm. <laughs> yeah, woke up. So, so what yeah, are these stunts? Were you like, were, were you faking like, like were you paying women to come out and say like, oh my God, Leroy had sex with me and 20 <laughs> other great. women last night. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I pretty much found myself going out quite a lot because I was hoping that I'd run into conversations and people would want to have this conversation with me. And I'll be able to explain the conversation to them and be like, no, listen, but listen, just try and understand it from my point of view, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. My, my man's was hitting the club with that. I'm straight shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I am interested in women. Thank you. Yeah. I love women all the time. <laughs> that's pretty much <laughs> Uh, okay all right um okay so uh some of the other things that you worked on at the time oh you said jacob's cross was like a, a revival for you yeah Is, isn't jacob's cross is when was the last that, that, that was on for a minute wasn't it yeah that was on for a minute and it went to the national uh, i think i think it made it onto hbo as well okay um, Did you see any of those HBO residuals? Say what? I said, did you see any of those HBO residuals in your checks? Uh, no, buddy. Sure. That's for leads, eh? I was a support. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say, hey, had you not learned your lesson at this point? Um, okay. So what no, else have we got I here? I don't um, my lesson at that point. But hence, I'm understanding the difference between being a lead and support. So in this period of time, you were doing a lot of TV shows and I, I'm kind of curious in terms of um, whether you were, you were, you were seeing a difference or making a deliberate decision to avoid TV, to avoid movies, or were you still more interested in movies? Um, what was the, what was the vibe in movies versus TV shows at this time? So at this time, I've, I've, I'd gotten the, the TV bug and I was enjoying the fact that I could really sort of like jump from one show to the other. So I was exploiting the opportunities that came with, with television at that time. Um, mm. To do movies at that time was quite, uh, quite hectic. Uh, it was quite challenging uh, if you were a non-South African and you were trying to get onto like a... South African film, uh, it was it was really, really tough. It wasn't easy. But I was very much enjoying the television side of things. Um, and so um, 
I had a, a, a desire to do movies, but I, I needed to have been in Cape Town to get the movies that I wanted to do, to get the international films that I wanted to do, you know? Um, and so I was very much focused on TV. I sort of like parked the movies and the movies I was doing, in fact, not completely parked, but I was experimenting with other kind of film that I wanted to do that I was away from the lover boy stuff. I wanted some action. I wanted some bad, bad boy kind of stuff, you know, uh, um, some, some more chunkier characters that I've never done before. Something I can really sink my teeth into and not something that I could just do, you know, with my eyes closed. So I was very, uh, peculiar. What's the word? Uh, particular, particular, particular. Yes. Particular. Discerning. <laughs> I'm yeah. here guys. So Don't worry. I'm here to help you find the words. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> so I was quite particular about the film roles that I was doing, which did come along actually um, in 20, 2012. Mm. Uh, a, a movie called Night Drive, which was a horror film. Um, didn't do too great in the box office because at that time, actually, South Africa wasn't really ready for horror. Uh, but it was a re- it did well in Japan. It did well outside of Africa. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. That's dope. I guess it's so weird. It's not weird. Okay. But like we consume a lot of media from America, obviously, as does the whole world. Um, But a lot from Europe as well. And a lot from Asia. Um, And I've always thought, do people from those places consume media from Africa? I mean, now we do understand that Afro, you know, Afro beats, everyone's favorite phrase is being consumed across the world, but that's a relatively recent occurrence. Were people really watching South African movies and TV shows in, as an outside of Africa back in the, in the, uh, you know, late 2000s, uh, early 2010s? Nah, not, um, you know, uh, I think uh, they, they were absolutely. And, and that's where the joy of festivals came in, you know, festivals uh, allowed Mm. and gave, the international markets to actually see what's happening outside of their worlds, you know? Mm. So, so people were consuming, if it were something that would come off a festival and then I would go on to like an international channel or an international platform, uh, people would consume it because it's sort of like has gone through some sort of testing or some sort of sifting to see if it's good enough or if mm. the market will love it and accept it, you know? Um, and so that's what happened with us. Drive. It was very much so, something that the international market was, was enjoying. I mean, this is a story that's based on uh, a bunch of game, uh, game rangers who uh, take people on night drives and then, uh, you know, get their body parts and sell them for muti. You know, so that, because this was also based on actual facts. This story was actually happening in Mozambique. This was the true story happening in Mozambique. A, a hard and so because it tale light for the whole onto, family. Like, yeah. You know what I bring, mean. Bring, bring your kids, <laughs> yeah. So because it brought light onto this, it gave, it, it gave it that. It gave the the international market. It gave it got the attention of the international market based mm. on on the kind of you know narrative it was telling. Hmm. All right. Um, while you're in South Africa, thriving on South African television and film and audiences. Were you still thinking about little old Zimbabwe? Where you got your first big break, Mdara? You know where you first made it. <laughs> Tell the truth and shame the devil. I really was. Mm. I, I I really was. Um, 
I, I remember, I think, uh, I, I think the first two years of me being out of film school, uh, I remember writing a couple of recommendations for people uh, that have studied at AFTA as well. Um, um, and coming back home a couple of times, um, shot and directed Odias's music video, uh, Odias mm. Mtawarira, uh, and, and really came back and did a couple of things for, for Zim, you know? Um, so, so I was, but I, what I wanted to do in Zim wasn't happening in Zim. So it didn't go with, with where I was, you know, at that time also, you remember also, uh, 07, 08, 09, 010 was where it was quite pressing. If you wanted to do work in Zim, if you want to shoot something in Zim, you had to get quite cut through a lot of tape, you know, and, and, and just get things done. So, I was not ready to fight that battle. And I didn't want to make that my battle. I strictly wanted to be an entertainer. I didn't want to find myself politically trying to explain. Mm. Sorry, the, 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 the network seems to be acting up once again. Um, Are you going to have fun editing this, Dan? Yeah, yeah I think we got that. Editing, no, the, 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 the <laughs> listeners must get the raw feel of what we were getting you know we're, we're, we're encouraging do, do not, them do you know what the funniest part is the funniest part of what he said is he said it was hard to get permits to shoot like it's past tense like all of a sudden now it's a breeze to shoot content in yeah, Zimbabwe Zimbabwe is open tennis. for business yeah. Yeah. Zimbabwe is open for business <laughs> so um, <laughs> something also that we I, I don't want to gloss over is uh, you want a SAFTA around about this time yeah for, for your role yeah. in Sestopla. Sestopla, yeah. E- dope. Again, surely that's opening up. Now you're an award-winning. I mean, not only do you have successful movies and TV shows, you've shown your range by playing all manner of characters, including, uh, to the shock of many, a gay character, and now you're winning an award in a comedy. I mean, you've done a horror movie. You've done range, Mdara, range, Baba, range. Mm. Yeah. And then yeah. here, here we are at 2012. The world is your oyster, my man. C- can I ask you a can yeah. I ask you a question? Sure. Um, and you're you 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 obviously don't have to answer it if you don't want to go into into details. But here you are at the pinnacle of your career. What yeah. was your biggest vice that was potentially holding you back from achieving even more? That one stumbling block, Leroy, that you just couldn't get over. Maybe there was none. I don't know. It's time. It's time to set the record straight, Leroy. Um, the people, the people need to know. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Okay, you don't have to talk about it. Damn. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, geez, it's, don't it's, say it all at once. It's like you know something, man. Do you? I actually, do, do I don't know something, know I don't know. something <laughs> but I know. Listen, man. I also work in entertainment. I know what what is it that that Denzel said? It's when you're at your peak that the devil comes to find you. Mm. Speak on it, King. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. But of course, I mean, we don't have to go into it. And if you yeah. if you've managed to yeah. keep it under wraps yeah. all these years, then shout out to you. You know, there's no need to bring it out. 
Um, Look, I, I personally for me, yeah. Personally for me, I think um, at that time, uh, my biggest vice was, you know, I think indecisiveness. It wasn't really from anyone. It wasn't really a someone, but it was really more of a personal thing that I was going through because, um, you know, there's certain points that you get to in your career and there's certain things that you got to choose. Like, I'm going to go this way. Um, and once I sort of like go this way, I got to close up all the other off ramps. Uh, mm-hmm. Because a lot of the time we go on this career and we sort of like got these off ramps of just. Oh, I think we've lost him. Nah, we lost him for good now. This is this is bad. This is not great. Yeah, we lost him for real, for real. Can you hear me, guys? Oh, he's back. I think. Yeah, I'm back. Yes, 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 yes. You were just you were just talking about the indecisiveness that you were feeling at the time. Yeah. So uh, I think that was my biggest thing because I didn't know whether I wanted. If I was ready to leave, yeah, yeah, um, or <laughs> if I want to stay in front of the camera, uh, um, Dan, by the time my, I, I, I just uh, by the time I want to SAPTA, I think my my production company is a year old. I'm not even sh- touching all over the place. You know, I want to direct. I want to produce. I want to act. It's one of my stifling things. I think I think to myself, shucks, I needed to have made my mind up, you know, because I wasted mm. a lot of time, mm. missed a lot of opportunities because of indecisiveness. Mm. Mm. Um, all right, dope. So we, 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 we were just discussing with Phil here that I think we want to try and, and, and get you on a, a, an in-person interview. Because there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of dope stuff to talk about, so we can make this a part one. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I think like as we're getting into more and more interesting stories, it sucks that every now and again the the, the internet keeps dropping. But still, this is very fascinating, um, and uh, and a, a, a look into the world of 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 theater, acting, and film. Uh, the direction I was going to go actually in our conversation was so you were doing a lot of work for South African stuff, but you also uh, did work for like Hollywood. So, you know, um, at some point I'd love for us to get a little bit more into that. Um, but I, I think for now, let's call this a part one, a part one conversation with Leroy, early, the early life and times. Yeah. And then maybe next time that you're around, we can sit you down. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. Um, I hopefully should be in, in Zim. Um, maybe I think 20th of April. Um, otherwise we can always do it earlier than that. If you want, uh, I'll avail myself, man. No stress. Yeah. Cool. Dope, man. Thanks. Much appreciated. Uh, it's, it's been a great chat so far. Uh, We love that, man. Going to take advantage of this opportunity then to, to leave them wanting more by getting into a part two later on. But uh, we appreciate you, man. Thanks very much for agreeing to sit down and chat with us. Awesome, man. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for the invite. Thanks, Phil.
Thanks Go for on. joining Thanks, us, man. man. Thanks for taking time out of your day. We appreciate it, man. And we're we're gonna catch you catch up with you in our, in our part two. Wait, before you 100%. leave, uh, we, we, we can we can listeners catch you on the social medias. Uh, the socials are very simple, man. At Leroy Gopal, right across the board, man. Instagram, Facebook. I'm not much of a Twitter person because Twitter is just it's <laughs> it's too impersonal. So so I'm more uh, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, at Leroy Gopal. Mm. Leroy with one L. I, I mean one E, but also one L. Yeah, L. Leroy, Leroy with one E. <laughs> yeah. Mm. All right, man. Thanks, dude. All right, and then next thanks. next time we'll discuss how you got your cool, name. Thanks, fellas. It, it one, still eh? was it answered? Yeah, yeah, right. that was not answered. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that one was not answered. We'll definitely get into that. Nice one, my dude. All right, bless. All right, fellas. Thanks. Yes, yes, yes. That was our poorly connected interview with Lyric Group. Are we going to do that again? Um, man, you know, the conversation was, you know, there was so much to discuss. You know, Lyric is a great, he's a, he's, a, he's a great interview. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. he was engaged, he was hype, but ah. Uh, he's know. got his own jokes. He's, 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 he's opening up. And the thing is, like, I, I also think, I hate that there's, there's people like Leroy who, like, people kind of know him. But my dude's done a lot of stuff, yo. He's been like, like the level of, of the acting that he's done and the shows he's been in, the movies he's been in. He's like a huge deal. So it's great that, you know, we get to shine a little bit of spotlight on uh, an otherwise bright career. But uh, listen, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't leave. Uh, yes, uh, guys. I mean, psh, it's been a big week. Probably the, the, the biggest week Twitter has seen. Um. In some time. Um, obviously, what happened at the Oscars has to be dissected and discussed in great detail. Encanto, best animation. Dan, blew me away. I mean, this is, this is, this is the it talk was, of the time. I mean, well, it, it, that's ironic because we don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. Mm. I actually haven't Please play the Bruno. applause. <laughs> Please play the applause. I have watched no. it. Oh, you haven't watched have you not watched it, Philip? Nah, I haven't watched. I haven't even. Okay. I was supposed to watch Turning Red with a friend, and then they got COVID, and they're going to bring the kid over. So I'll <laughs> Sorry. So, Encanto is. I mean, it's a good movie, but it's it's kind of like Moana, in that part of what makes it good is the fact that it's not just your normal white people. So, if it was. Like the story itself, it's good, but it's not so super amazing. It's just what elevated it past not just good was the fact that it wasn't just white people. And I appreciate that. Otherwise, it was a good story. Good story. Good movie. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I haven't watched Turning Red yet, and I look forward to it. But Philip, why are we wasting time talking about other things? Ain't nobody care about the Oscars no more. Let's get straight into it. Here's the situation. All right. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that I woke up to crazy news, <laughs> I would have, I, I think I barely vaguely knew somewhere in the deep recesses of my mind that there was Oscars <laughs> happening sometime. I don't know. I didn't even think about it. But when I woke up, I was like, why is everyone so frantic? What is going on? Um, so it turns out um, the Oscars, obviously you guys know the story. Will Smith smacked Chris Rock. Um, after Chris Rock was was talking smack, 
Um, it has led to a debate, which I think is going to be a great discussion for us to have here, Philip. The debate, the first debate, I think, which is the Leicester debate, is do you believe it was staged? No. I, I, okay. There's so many ways to dissect this issue, and I've been thinking about this for a few days. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, my, even my, my Monday morning, I realized this was probably like Monday morning was the most I'd spent on Twitter <laughs> in a long, long time. Not only spent it? on Twitter, but actually interacting on Twitter. And I was like, and part of me was like, you know what? This, as much as I know it's a Monday morning, I've got so much to do because Mondays are my busiest day. I was like, yeah, so it's worth it because this takes me back to vintage Twitter. You know, the, the Twitter I loved and missed. You know, everyone's got an opinion. The jokes are flying. The memes are flying. The only thing that's new is like the wild takes. There's a lot more wild takes. I'm like, you know, are you guys okay? But ultimately, okay. By by now, I don't think there's any way anyone listening to this podcast has not heard the news, read a story, seen the video. I, it's impossible. The amount of interaction that subject has generated for Twitter. Your Twitter, Twitter need to send Will Smith a check. Because, <laughs> woo! Ah, these past three days, it's been on fire. Have you been seeing the engagement numbers? It's yeah, been yeah, I mean, it's, it's been great. It's been great. So, the other thing that Dan mentioned, and to be honest, I felt the same way. I actually had no idea the Oscars were happening. None. The only reason I knew the Oscars were happening is so normally, as you know, I've got a, um, I automatically set my phone to go offline on, on Sundays, right? And then mm-hmm. it goes back online Monday morning. Mm-hmm. And normally I'll wake up to a bunch of messages, but there'll be messages that will have obviously been sent throughout the Sunday and then it'll only come in Kawan. But I woke up and the messages were just, and I, and I woke up at five. So I'm like, yo, why, why are people messaging me at five like this? Why is, what's going on? And the, I log on. The first thing I see is Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. I'm like, what? And at that point, it was still very fresh. People were debating, yo, was this stage? Was this not? What is going on here? So now I'm catching up with the story. I'm like, ah, oh, Winslow, what happened? And then I managed to catch the acceptance speech live. And now I'm starting to dissect it. I'm like, wait a minute. And then now I'm remembering, oh, fam. Oh, yeah, Will Smith and Jada from the Oscar So White movement. Wait a minute. Didn't Chris Rock and Jada, they might not have worked together because, oh, context is Chris Rock and Jada Pinkett were both in Madagascar, one, two, and three, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're recording an animated movie, you don't necessarily have to be in the same room. Because it's you're recording in the vocal booth. However, when you're promoting that movie, you are going to be around your co-stars. So, I now I'm starting to connect dots that that I I never really connected before. So, to break it down in short, Chris Rock is not the host of the Oscars. Chris Rock was presenting yep. a segment. The yep. Oscars were hosted by. Um, to, uh, not Tiffany Haddish, uh, Ish. Wanda Sykes. Amy Schumer went Wanda Sykes and um, uh, the legendary why for- black lady. Why are we forgetting her name from from Scary Movie? <laughs> from everything. 
Um, Yo, but to be honest, hey, some of those bits were missing bad, bruh. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, so Regina Hall, there we go. So shout out to Regina Hall. Hall. Thank apologies. you. Thank you. Uh, apologies Thank you. for forgetting your name. So Chain Chris Hall. Rock, Chris Rock, we've got a future proof ourselves, damn. We've got a future proof ourselves. Chris Rock comes on to present um, a series of awards. And as a comedian, he does what comedians do, starts riffing in the crowd. Um, so one of the things that people had been espousing, there's been a lot of crazy theories, but I'm going to try and break them down uh, as much as I can. Yeah. One of the theories was, wait a minute, guys, this has to be staged because when you go to the Oscars, there's rehearsals. Didn't people or Jada know that that joke was going to be said? I don't believe that joke was rehearsed. And uh, as someone who's familiar with Chris Rock and how meticulous he is in, in preparing for these award shows, which is why he keeps getting hired for them. I believe that was a throwaway ad lib, which is why even he got defensive because he, he he cracks the joke, right? And then he's like, hey, that was a T.I. Chain joke. Because even the crowd are like, mm. plus if you watch the video, you see Jada immediately rolls her eyes, right? Mm. The other the other responses that people have been bringing out is, wait a minute, but Will Smith was laughing in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I have I, I don't know what's going on in Will Smith's heart. However, there there's a few theories that I believe could be the possible explanation. One is yes, he, he genuinely may have found it funny in the beginning, right? And then he saw how upset his wife was. And then when you see someone who you care for upset like that, you respond from a place of rage. So there's one. That's that, that that's one explanation. The second being is he could have just been in automatic, yo, I'm in the front row, I'm on camera, a joke was cracked about me. If I don't laugh, it's going to look bad. It's awkward. So it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's almost like an automatic response. Like, yo, no matter what is said, you've got to laugh because that's what it is. Like when you know you're on camera, when, you, when you're at an award show, and Dan and I fell victim to this. If you watch the Namas, there was a, there was a point where both Dan and I were on TV for like five seconds on our phones. Shout out to that cameraman and director, A1. But then there's another part where now we realize, oh, snap, we're in the front row, we're on camera. We got to, you know, adjust, uh, uh, like behave accordingly. Will Smith, being the professional that he is for as long as he's been, was obviously briefed about that before. And so he knew, okay, I've got to be on camera. I've got to make sure I present myself. Or he just, like, so there could have been that nervous laughter. Or he could have just been faking the laughter and then the anger or the shock or the pain set in, plus seeing his wife being upset, that happened. Coincidentally, I've been reading Will Smith's autobiography. Um, if you read that autobiography, Will Smith grew up in a very abusive household. In as much as his father loved him, he was also very abusive. He's a military man, right? Will Smith has discussed having anger issues because of his upbringing for quite some time. And if you've watched the recent Bel Air reboot, you'll see how angry Will got. You know what I mean? But that's neither here nor there. So that's the backstory. After the joke is said, um, oh, the other part of the backstory being um, Jada Smith is now suffering from alopecia. She's been outspoken about her ordeal with it and why she decided to go bold. So no matter what the context is, we can, I think, saying well well thought out individuals can agree in as much as it was a throwaway joke and as much as chris rock may or may not have known she had that condition it was in poor taste right it wasn't the best of jokes 
especially I would say, considering that Chris Rock is one of my top five comedians of all time, that joke was beneath him, which is why I believe it was an ad lib joke, not a prepared joke. Because if Chris Rock prepared that, I don't believe it would have been that bad of a joke. You get what I'm saying? Mm. So that's the context behind the joke. Will Smith, for reasons only he can explain, is so incensed, he walks on stage and slaps Chris Rock. Chris Rock is obviously shocked. And then Will Smith walks back down. People in the audience still think it's a bit or they think this is a comedy bit, which is why they're laughing. And it's only when Will starts shouting, keep your wife's name. I'm sorry, keep my wife's name out of your effing mouth. That people are like, Ooh, and you can immediately hear the laughter disappear like, like, like that. So with that being said, I don't believe it was staged. I do, however, believe Chris Rock thought it was a bit up until the part Will Smith started cussing him out when he went back to the seat. Because if you look at the sequence of events, Chris Rock cracks the joke, right? Will Smith laughs for a, a short second. For, I can assume that Chris Rock, being the comedian he is, he's, he, he knows what, how to gauge audience response, which is why he immediately rebuts when he cracked that joke. He was probably looking at Jada and he was trying to calm the situation down like, oh, snap, I didn't know this joke was going to offend you. Then he sees Will Smith coming on stage. Will Smith, Hollywood's darling, has been known to be a funny man ever since we, we've come to know him. This is extremely out of character. So I, I'm assuming, and based on his reaction, Chris Rock thought, okay, Will is going off script, but he's coming to do something funny. Right? Will Smith then swings. Speaking of, for someone who played Muhammad Ali, that was some terrible form, that swing. I, that is a very awkward way to throw a, a slap. No, like no. That was the form in that, in that slap was immaculate film. Did you not see he had, <laughs> that was, he had a stiff upper arm? This was meant <laughs> not to hurt, but to embarrass. That was the whole, so, and it was great form with great finish. So even the sound it makes, because normally when you slap, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a yeah, sharp yeah. sound. It was more of a, you know what I mean? It was a boom. thud. It was like it was a very, mm. It was very... That's why, that's why, that's why for, until the, the slow-mo replays came out, people thought it was a punch because like, it sounded like mm. a punch. It was weird. Anyway, so Chris Rock ends up taking the slap and he's like, wow. And then it's only later that he's thrown off his game because in my mind, from, I've, and I've watched it a couple of times now, I think what happened was Chris Rock thought it was, it was a bit. Chris Rock thought Will Smith was coming on stage to do some sort of a comedic bit. He saw him swing, which is why his hands are behind his back. He doesn't respond. I think in, in Chris Rock's mind, he thought Will Smith was trying to fake a slap, like in wrestling, mistakenly connected, and then walked off. It's only when Will Smith started cussing him out, and I think that's why Will Smith even started cussing him out, because he realized, wait a minute, this guy doesn't understand that I'm upset, right? I think that's what happened. And I, and I don't think it helped Chris Rock's case that as Will Smith was walking towards him, he called him Richard. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so I, obviously I'm not naive so as to think that everything is ever always real in life. Of course not. But um, there's, I think there's two main reasons why I'm convinced that this was not staged. Number one, Chris Rock's reaction was... I'm sorry, Will Smith is an incredible actor. Rock is not an incredible... I mean, he's a, he's a fine actor, I'm sure, in whatever roles that he plays. But to, to, to express 
the depth of emotions that flitted across his face in those few seconds. The looking for, you could see him holding back like, should I make a joke right now? Should I say something about August? Or, I'm sure that's, that's, not what he was, that, that's not what he was thinking. That, but the fact is you could see that a lot of things no, were going through his mind. So it, it was clear August, to me. Yeah, because like I said, it was clear yeah, to sorry, me that... Let me not interrupt, carry on, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm basically agreeing with you that there's no way that it was a stage bit. First of all, because for me, Chris Rock's reaction was too genuine and I don't believe he's that good of an actor to pull something like that off unrehearsed, first take or whatever. No ways. <laughs> you I, 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 I apologize. You Will, maybe. Me or Will, maybe, Ken, is an incredible actor. He can, he can do incredible things. But Chris, no ways. You guys are lying. So that's the first thing. And the second thing... Will Smith is a a seasoned actor who has gone to great pains to paint himself as the darling of Hollywood. In fact, that's something that his wife had an issue with him when, you know, when they had their red table talks and whatever. Will Smith, as an accomplished and seasoned professional as he is, there is no way he would have just started cussing on live TV if he was completely fully in control of his emotions. No ways. So... I agree with you absolutely. Will Smith um, was enraged. He was angry. He went. He still managed to compose himself enough to have a, a composed walk. Secondly, we watched a lot of slow mo replays. The actual action of the slap was super fast. I think Chris Rock yeah, was, was not expecting. It, it, Chris Rock in no way was expecting a slap. He probably did think Will Smith is coming up here to, to to crack a joke back yeah. or something. But I don't think he he even, like, it didn't even cross his mind. Just bam, next thing he's so, being smacked. And he did know that so, he was slapped. He didn't think it was a bit because he said afterwards, wow, Will Smith just smacked the ish out of me. So it, it wasn't like, oh, what's going on? Huh? He was like, damn, like, this just happened. And he, he, he actually says it was a G.I. No, Jane joke. Go, go, uh, if you, no, no. But if you go back to it, that's, that's what I'm saying. If you go back to the series of events, he cracks the, he says the G.I. Jane thing. After, in fact, if you have the video, play it. But if he says the G.I. Jane thing after Will Smith starts cussing him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before that, he's like, wow, Will Smith just came. That's what I'm saying. Up until that point, Chris Rock was still processing his mind that, wait, is this a bit or is this not a bit? He wasn't sure. I'm, I'm agreeing with you uh, up, until, up to the point of the slap, not up to the point of Will Smith talking. I'm saying there's no way. Chris okay. didn't think the slap was part of the bit. He might have thought the walk okay, up to we're, we're and everything. We're splitting hairs, but ultimately, so... Now the discussion, the discussion is going to, the first one is, and let's get that out of the way first and foremost. Um, I'm a fan of Chris Rock. Chris Rock has done some questionable things. Chris Rock has made some questionable decisions. As has uh, probably every people, single comedian, you know? Yeah. Everyone, we're, back, in, back in the days, we always used to say, on Twitter, every day, mm. everyone has their day. We've said it many times. And Twitter, Chris Rock had his day. People who have had issues with Chris Rock started dropping files and there were many files for them to drop, right? When you've been in the public eye for that long, you're going to say some messed up things. And there are things that Chris Rock has said that have hurt me. Like the Louis CK video. I remember when I first saw that, I was like, what? What type of coonery is this, Chris? Like, this is, this is bad. What what did he say? Like, you're laughing with, you haven't seen, there's a video of the Seinfeld, Oh, okay, yeah, Louis yeah, no. CK, I saw that one. Chris Rock, and, and they all, and then like Louis C.K. and Chris are saying, yeah, we use nigger, we use nigger. And then Simon was like, yo, y'all use that word. I'm never saying that word. Never saying mm. that word. So there's that. Then obviously people start pulling the receipts from the 2016 Oscars, and they're like, yeah, remember when the Oscars so white campaign was going on? 
And this man went on a five-minute tirade dissing Jada Pinkett Smith. That's where I was like, clearly there's some history here. Because this is your co-star in multiple movies. This joke, if you wanted to let it fly, I don't see how that flies without you speaking to her before or after in some form or fashion. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Because even that, if you remember, Chris Rock hosting the Oscars that year was seen as coonery and crossing the picket line because there was a legitimate gripe. Granted, whatever the reasons may be, like, yo, the Smiths are trying to make this about them and this, that, and the third. The legitimate thing was Oscars are very white. Yeah, and then him him making that joke was also very like, like, dude, read the room type of thing. Yeah, there was that. And in as much as you might feel that Will Smith didn't deserve a nomination for concussion, the fact that you crossed the picket line, one, and two, in fact, wasn't that the same year that Chris Rock took over from Kevin Hart, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, that was the year. Hold on. In fact, this is actually worth Googling. Hold on. I I don't think so. But, I mean, the, the point remains the same whether it was or it wasn't. But, okay, in my opinion... The first, the, okay, the first issue on, of conversation no, here. Actually, I think this is actually important enough. Um, let's just put a pause. I need to get the, the, the dates right. This is important enough to check. Really isn't. So this, um, okay, I think I think I got my timelines mixed up because this is 2018. Anyway, yeah. So there, there, there's that. Sorry, Dan, I was interrupting you. Carry on. Google. So I was saying. So okay. So that's to me. There's maybe three big questions. The first big question was: Was it staged? Which is probably the smallest of the three because I think. Of course, there's people who believe in crazy, super conspiracy that you got to understand there's lizards with human skins on and whatever. But I, I mean, for the most part, you can kind of see. And for, the, for it to have been staged, the number of people that would have had to be an in on it. So the whole academy would have had to be an in on it. Uh, a lot of the audience who were probably there for rehearsals would have had to have been in on it. Freaking LA Sheriff Department would have had to be an in on it because they also put out a statement as well. So in my opinion, there's no way that was staged. Secondly, I think that the second big question, which is a very tiring question for me, but let's talk about it and let's actually get our thoughts out there was, um, was Will Smith right to have done that? Or as some people are saying, is he behaving like the stereotypical black man or is he embarrassing the the black men as a whole or is he failing to control his temper or is he simply assaulting someone on stage? Using fists when words would have sufficed, etc., etc., etc. So the question so, is: Was Will Smith right or wrong? I think we, I think, like you said earlier, most sane people can sit here and agree. Yes, it was a joke. We all get it. He's a comedian. He made a joke, but it was a joke that would make someone angry. Some people, many people, would say it was a joke in poor taste. So the issue here is not whether he's a comedian or not. Comedians can make jokes that offend people. Yes, 
So a joke was made, someone was offended. Was Will Smith right to have gone up and smacked him? And I, I want to start off by so, saying, I always think that's the wrong question. Asking was someone right or not. But anyway, yeah, please go ahead. I, I would say yes or no. So was assaulting another person for a joke or rather assaulting a comedian who's on stage trying to do his job. Was that the right thing to do? No. Was assaulting someone who offended your wife coupled with the fact that you have been the butt of jokes for a substantial amount of time for various reasons, coupled with the the fact that you may or may not have previous history with this person, coupled with this person has been joking about you and your wife quite some time, or at least on one occasion before, mm-hmm. coupled with the fact that you guys were former colleagues, and even me on the outside looking, I'm like, night, Chris, why? You know what I mean? So, like, take, all take, Nemun, take, factors, take, Nemun. Yeah. With all those mitigating factors, We've said it on the podcast several times, and we said it, I think, like a month ago, or is it a little longer? When we said, one day, you are going to say the right thing to the wrong person. And Chris Rock said the right thing to the wrong person on the wrong night. And he, I feel he caught a slap, a weak slap, but a slap nonetheless, not only for what he had been saying, but for what everyone else has been saying, because Will Smith needed to reset the conversation around him and his family online. And so, no matter, when I stop to think about it, from various angles, like, like I said, ultimately, violence is never the answer, except when it is. And sometimes, from a, just from a, yo, I need to protect my wife. Yo, I need to set the tone. I need to show people that, yo, my family is no longer the butt of your jokes. Because outside of people insulting his wife and joking about his wife and his relationship and August Alcina and all that and this and the third, they've been joking about his children and their sexuality and how they present themselves in the public. Like topics that even I'm like, yo, are you guys crazy right now? These kids are 15, 14. You know what I mean? Just because you, the kids live a public life because their parents are very public does not mean that we get the right to insult them the way they like that some people have. And I think Will had be- grown very tired of becoming the butt of so many jokes. Mm. Um, and he needed to, sometimes you just need to lay him bum. Could the issue have been handled in a different way? Of course. Am I happy that one of my favorite black comedians was slapped by probably one of m- my What's the word I can use here? I'm 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 a, I'm a fan to very few people, but on the top of my list is probably Will Smith. Will Smith, I've I've watched his career since I was a kid. My jokes, my mannerisms, my love for sneakers, I all got that from Will Smith. So I hold that man in a very high regard. So I I certainly was not happy to see the man I hold in such high regard is slapping one of my favorite comedians. Of course not. But I was like, I understand. I get it. You know, I live by a certain code. I understand. Could things have been handled better? Yeah, they could have. But I also understand why he did it. Sometimes you have to do the wrong thing for the right reasons. And so, that's where I'm like, I understand. What are your thoughts on people who feel that, listen, he was defending his wife. So it, 
So he actually was doing the right thing. That's that's what I'm saying. Like the de- defending his wife was the right thing. Um, that's what. So I have. How do I put this? I'm I'm trying to articulate my words here. Okay, while you're he thinking, I also right share thing. my thoughts. No, no, I'll say he did the right thing, but there was no right way to do that right thing. There's only one way to execute that thing, and 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 he did it that way. And I think maybe like there there are ways he could have gone about it better. But at, at the end of the day, I don't believe that was a that that certainly wasn't a slap you so hard your face is going to be stinging slap it didn't look like that to me it, like Judd Apatow like was saying the, 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 oh he could have killed him he could have killed him man, ah, Judd Apatow needs to get the F out of here man these, yeah, shut up man I don't, I don't believe that I don't believe that at all Do, am I happy that it happened on the night in front of the whole world to see the night where Will Smith won his first Oscar am I happy that it happened there? no I feel very I'm very upset about that for obvious reasons but I also understand why it had to happen. Um, yeah, it's. But once again, and it's it's also very easy to play. Um, Americans call it Monday morning quarterback. It's very easy to to play, like game review after the incident because when you're in that incident, like, and your adrenaline's rushing and you're dealing with all this anger and rage and whatever else is going on. Because Will Smith's been dealing with a lot for a very long time. Just because he smiles a lot does not mean he's like he's okay. And I encourage you to read his book because he, he lays it all out there. Um, you can't then start dissecting and saying this and the third. And all the people who, I just don't believe people who are calling for him to be stripped of his Academy Award or he's embarrassing black people. I, and all that, I just question like how you guys grew up because where I'm from, when you say something, you, there are consequences for what you say. Just because you cracked a joke does not mean you are immune to consequences. Just because you're a comedian and you cracked a joke does not mean you are immune to consequences. That's why comedians have security. Because this it happens. I also do think that Chris Rock was caught very off guard. That's why he didn't put up any defense because he wasn't expecting to get slapped. So, yeah. Mm. Okay, so... um. On, the first thing I want to say is I am tired of the think pieces on Twitter and all of that. Like, guys, let's take this for what it is. A rich man smacked another rich man for talking out the side of his neck. The the conversations about right or wrong, cool, we can have those. But, like, I, I, I'm so tired of this is a microcosm of the general uh, overview of how the black man in America continue. Like, oh, my God, like. Please. But anyway, that having been said. Look, uh, from a jokey level, I mean, yeah, you talk too much, you're going to get smacked. But mm. we're not, you and I, Philip, you know what I mean? We're, we're adults with responsibilities, with people who look up to us, people who respect us, people who actually say I'm a fan of Dan and Phil. You, you, we, we have had to navigate through different things in life. You have people that you pay, as do I. You have people that you give instructions to, as do I. We are not the school kids or the, the gangsters 
or the 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 teenagers hanging out on the block talking about no you know the street rules is how we move blah 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 nah at some point you realize that there's there's certain actions that are acceptable and unacceptable for society to function in in certain ways all right so i think that's like if we're working at with that as a basis the correct way that society functions is that for air quote civilized people who have reached a certain level or stage in society they do not resolve things with violence for example let's just let's let's use that as an example right so that's kind of the standard of course human beings are human beings emotions govern us sometimes sometimes we act in ways uh, reacting to situations without really giving that much thought so sometimes we'll fall fall below the standard i think it's important for us to understand that you can fall below the standard without necessarily and it it can be it can be known and acknowledged that you've fallen below the standard without it being normalized so for me it's okay to say that you know what will smith has gone through a lot there was probably a lot going on in his mind which i which by the way is the third the third big question that i thought we'll discuss after this one but there's a lot going on in will smith's mind there's a lot of mitigating factors he was he must have been super annoyed and all of that so he fell below the standard and that's a that's a way of saying he did the wrong thing it's understandable why he did it because he's a human being and emotions came into play and he was in this uh, state of mind so he did the wrong thing and i think i th- i think it's important to know that it is the wrong thing even though it's understandable why he did it even though probably many of us in the same situation could probably have done the same thing so stating that it's the wrong thing to me is kind of important because I want to let me give a I want to give a separate example. So Phil, you walk in with your girl and uh someone somewhere says something disgusting in her direction. What are you going to do? <sighs> okay. It's Paw Patrol up in here. Do, Paw Patrol 1 and 2, but so, uh, just as an example. <laughs> so <sighs> I've been giving this a lot more thought than in fact I, it's actually it's, it's been an adequate amount of thought so I'll come back to your question just now okay but the first thing as you said is society lives by standards but then without getting too hoteppy when you stop and think about it all of this is made up you know like mores like cultural mores absolutely but it's there let me finish. so let me yeah yeah let me finish let me finish it's all made up right and then like when you start delving deep you're like okay so who made it up so we are we are living in a culture whose whose values and rules are defined by the people who literally oppressed us right and one of the things i have against pacifism for example is pacifism just allows the sociopaths to continue unabated because the people who have um empathy uh, sympathy compassion will forgive turn the other cheek while they're continually being taken advantage over and over and over again so that's one thing right so i don't necessarily view things from that lens i to a certain degree i do but it's it's more so like what's necessary at the time which ties perfectly into the second example where you say like if i'm with my girl and someone disrespects my woman especially in a physical way, if she feels physically threatened okay there's d- no d- don't don't change th- don't change the scenario because no, 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 no. The, the scenario does change depending on the situation 
So okay, so sorry. The, the, I never said disrespect. The, your, your I said, was what? I said the per someone in the street says something disgusting to your girl in your presence. What do you do? Ah, uh, okay. The, the the use of the word disgusting. Okay, Apple. He might as he, he might as well have put hands on her because <laughs> if it's deemed disgusting, disgusting, I don't care what tone he said it in, mm-hmm. how nicely he said it, how big the smile on his face was. We are going to piss. Okay, so I stopped and so I thought it's, about it's, it's it. And Fisticuffs. And I was and I was watching responses on, on, on social, right? And as with, with things that tend to happen on Twitter, there's always like it's 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 either it's very analog, it's either one side or the other. And one side was, yo, words of viol there were black women who were saying words of violence. And they listed all they clearly articulated, yo, it's violence, not only because we, we continue to be insulted in this in society, we feel unprotected, but Nyaevudzi especially. Mm. And even I was thinking about it, like, yo. As a black man, I know when a black woman shaves her head, I, I, I struggle to think of any time she shaved it for good reason. Like when a black woman shaves her head, it's never for a good reason. Never. Like it's either. I hope breakage, the relevant people money. are listening. The relevant people, I hope they're listening because yeah. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Yeah. To- yeah. You know what I mean? It's always, it's always, it's always about hair breakage. It's always about maybe death, like a serious tragic incident. Or if, if she's like a chakra hunt, she believes like there's bad energy in her hair, so she needs to start fresh. It's never for a good reason. You know what I mean? So there's that. Plus the fact that society puts all this pressure on black women already. So, and they articulated all this very well. I was like, exactly. Mm-hmm. For that reason alone. And they were even like, fam, this is just, all this discussion of no, who's performative masculinity doesn't that. <laughs> We, you guys are saying protect black women, Antiga. There's an example. We can discuss the details after we get home, Antiga. But in that moment, if I am in front of a room of my peers in the biggest award ceremony in my industry, in front of the world, and this person has disrespected me in this way, and we might have a history with this person already, and I feel double disrespected? Nah, fam. First and foremost, let them know where the line is. Yo, keep my wife's name out of your mouth. And then we can start figuring out the nuance. Can I jump here? And I'm like, hey, one. And the other flip side, you go, no, violence is never the answer. This, then, the third, blah, 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 blah. And I was always just like, so I, I'm listening to that, especially the people that were like, violence is never the answer. And I was like, I don't know how you guys grew up. But where I grew up, even me, you know me, Dan. I crack jokes a lot. I crack, I used to, in fact, I still do and I'm trying to stop it. I used to crack jokes that were hurtful. I would view them as funny because that's how I grew up. Like in my family, we crack jokes on each other daily. And I think I told you the story. Like to to, to show you how, the, the like give you an example of how I grew up. My mom, I hadn't seen my mom in a year because of the, the pandemic. My mom came to Harare. So I had to go meet meet them uh, by the shops because they couldn't find their way to my place. I didn't even get out the car. As you know, Dan, I put, I put on a little COVID weight, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it, it was showing in my face. I didn't, even, I didn't even get out of the car. The COVID weight was just showing in my cheeks. I pull up. <laughs> the first thing my mom says to me is, who are you and why did you eat my son? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
<laughs> Were you hurt, Philip? <laughs> of course. Why do you think I started fasting? I was like, nah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that that's that's the household I come from. So that's what I do. But as I've grown old, I've realized so some people are more sensitive. You know what I mean? Some people come from traumatic experiences and they don't take those jokes as lightly as I do, right? So I'm now trying to be more kind and more understanding. Mm-hmm. And luckily for me, I've never had to defend my words with, 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 in a fight. However, if I cracked a joke on someone and they were hurt and they swung on me and they explained why they swung on me, I would, I would be like, oh, my bad. Because I've gone back and I apologize to people like, oh, you know what? I was joking. I didn't mean it that way. You know what? I've learned my lesson. I'm not even going to crack those type of jokes anymore. I've had to, I've had to do that self-introspection myself, right? So there's that. But ultimately, the point that I'm raising with all this is I come from a society. I come from an environment where words have consequences. You cannot say things that hurt people and then not be a consequence. Sometimes that consequence might be light. Or what you deem to be like. Maybe it's a ghosting. Maybe it's getting blocked. Maybe it's not getting your calls responded to. Maybe it's being socially ostracized. And sometimes, maybe it will involve something physical. But that's a clear signal that, yo, you crossed the line. This is where we're checking you. Don't do that again. Right? And that's why I was confused. Like, how do people not get the logic there? In as much as you might not agree that, yo, it wasn't the right time or the right place or the right thing to do. At the very least, do you not get the premise that you said something that offended me and my wife and now I'm reacting accordingly? And the other people that are like, no, why didn't they handle it backstage, this and the third, blah, 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 blah. Have you people ever dated women? Fam, have you ever dated a woman who doesn't feel like she can feel safe around you? Who doesn't feel like you're going to stick up for her? Who doesn't feel protected around you? Because that's what it sounds... That's, that's where I, my, my, may, may I ask a question? No, I've, got, I've, got many I've got many thoughts, but I, I'm saying all that to say, for all these reasons, because it's important for the person you're with. And even like after this, I realized, yo, I actually got asked. So I even messaged my partners. And I'm like, yo, if this would pop off and this happened, well, how would you think? How would you respond? And for the most part, of course so so obviously so kind of kind of like the point i was bringing up when i was talking about um like uh what 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 is the standard that you're trying to reach and whether you fall below the standard so if if that is the standard you are trying to reach and you failed to reach it because of understandable reasons you've still failed to reach the standard because in a society, let's, let's assume a society that has reached the absolute perfect pinnacle of whatever would be deemed the best possible behavior, right? In that society, obviously, the answer is not a brawl in the streets. But we are not at that society. Not only am I not at that society, but the person who said whatever they said is not there yet. So here we are having but failed to reach whatever that standard is. Yes, Phil, the philosophical I know you have a counter argument. No, no, but the philosophical counter is that if we've reached that pinnacle, there's no need for me to react violently because the person exactly. would not have said anything that would make would me. Not have said, so I'm saying, yes, so here we are in a situation where that has not happened on both sides. But the fact of the matter is that both of you have not reached that, that level or standard. So anyway, so um, 
On that question, if you're walking in the street with your girl and someone says something that could be disgusting or insulting towards your girl, I mean, I'm sorry. It is what it is. You got you to gotta throw hands. It is what it is. But it's still the wrong thing to do. I can sit here and I, I can say that objectively, it's the wrong thing to do. But in any if I'm there, I've got no, like, even if I look at the guy and he's like twice my size, well, I'm about to get me a, a whooping. But I got to do what I got to do. Mm. It is what it is. But it's mm. the wrong thing. I know it's the wrong thing, but you got to do it. So yeah. it's, 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 <laughs> it's, uh, so that's that situation. You're in the street. Someone disrespect your girl. This one's a little bit different because I think the important part is trying to figure out how did, how did Jada feel in that moment? Because while you quickly dismiss the whole issue of performative masculinity, I think some women are right when they say your concept of I'm the man I must protect sometimes comes from pace of toxic masculinity. And I don't want to, I don't want to get mm-hmm. too deep into that because frankly, I mean, at a physical level, as a general rule, men are sometimes more imposing than women as a general rule. So if there is an issue of protection that needs to happen, sure. But sometimes in some issues, there, it, that performative aspect comes in, which is, nah, man, I'm the man. I got a protector. That is valid if she needs the protection. If she doesn't need the protection, then you're only doing it as a performative action to boost your ego in front of your peers or your mates or your boys. Bingo. So the question is, so did Jada in that moment need that protection? If she didn't, then, then Will was not doing something to protect his woman. He was doing something to push his own ego or to push his own whatever was going on with him. Mm. In my opinion, so, yeah. You, 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 oh, no, finish your thoughts. Yeah, right? so, so in my talk. opinion, I can't know for sure, obviously, because I don't know their lives. And maybe this was something that Jada had been really, really hurt and grieving about and all of that before. And, you know, and Will was like, don't worry. No one's going to say anything. We love you. Don't worry. No, babe, I can't go out. You know how I feel. Blah. You know, I don't know what was happening behind the scenes. So it could have really been something that affected her. And honestly, we, will, we probably will never know the answer to that. So I can't answer that for sure. But I, I think it's important to make that distinction. If she needed the protection and Will stepped up to protect her, good on him. If she didn't need the protection and Will is using that as an excuse for him to, to react in his own, whatever, his rage, his manly rage. And that's a whole different conversation altogether. And to me, that makes it even more wrong. So that's kind of how I see the issue so, of protecting. Yeah. So I go back to what I said earlier. The reason why I asked that question is like, yo, in, if this incident were to arise, how would you react? The reason why I asked that is, I know that there are some women who, for them, violence is a, is a, is a red flag for, for, for a number of reasons. Some of them might have grown up in an abusive household or they've seen abusive men or their abusive partners. And to them, they're like, yo, if he's violent with a man, he could be violent with me. Mm. And that's going to set me off. And there are some women where you out, you might be forced into a situation where you have to step to someone and they now try and intervene. And they don't realize that by intervening, they're making the situation worse. And I even had the conversation like, no, if this ever happens, don't ever try step into the fight or stop the fight. Because you are going to make things worse. And then now when we get home, you're not going to have a conversation like, what were you thinking there? Like, why would you do that? Because now you've put me in a compromised position. So that's exactly why I asked that question. It's for that. And you're very right, Dan. 
we don't know what goes on in the Smith household, but just before recording, Jada Smith posted this to Instagram. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know if you saw it. It's an image that goes like, this is a season for healing and I'm here for it. And if, 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 if you can read the subtext, what that means is, let me translate that into <laughs> what, what Jada from Baltimore was actually saying. I'm glad my man slapped the out of that big tooth comedian. I loved him. And this year, I'm going to put my Tupac tribute on hold. <laughs> couldn't, you couldn't help it, Phil. And I hope he travels to Zimbabwe to look for you specifically. Um, <laughs> hey, remember Will Smith. Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith and everyone involved are seasoned PR professionals. So even if right now at home, she's like, how could you? Now look, now I have to look like I have your back because of what you did, because we need to be a united family front. But how could you do that? We don't know that for sure either. So that's the only thing I would remember. Um, That having been said, I think it is, obviously it's a huge issue in that everyone's talking about it. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big an issue because all of us have probably faced that scenario where I probably acted a little out of turn when I shouldn't have. So like everyone must also calm down. It's not the deepest thing in the world. It's just probably very viewed by a lot of people. So very in, in everyone's face. Um, ultimately, I think ultimately what I'm saying in all of this is it is the wrong thing to smack someone in exchange for words, but I can understand why it could happen. Yeah. That's okay. It's not right, but I understand. <laughs> it's not right, but I understand. And honestly, the the better man, the better people will be able to rise above, overcome, you know, whatever the case is. Ah, not in this instance, because plenty third party involved. That, that, and that's the point we, we've both driven home that there are variables that need to be, that you can't account for. So if if it was Chris cracking jokes on Will, and just the jokes were just on Will alone. That's one thing. But now when it's a third party involved, because... still to me, In my mind, now, still doesn't justify violence. Uh, I, understand, like I, said, I understand, no, but it doesn't there, justify there, there's, it. There's no reason for violence, <laughs> except when they... And that's all I'll say. There's no reason for violence, except for when they... You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I would love to, ladies, if that was your man, I asked, uh, by the way, I asked my girl, I was like, if that mm-hmm. was the exact same situation and I did that, she'd be like, I would be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, so, so it'd be fine for him to say, no, it wouldn't be fine. So I shouldn't do anything. No, no, I never said you shouldn't do anything. You know what the funny thing is? You know what the funny thing is? I expected you, like, I was, I'm actually, I'm actually annoyed that you and I are agreeing because I was expecting to come and have a spirited debate with you. And I'm like, damn it, we agree. No. Damn it. The thing is, I, 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 I still have a little bit of a stronger view than you. I can tell in our discussion. I think it's wrong. Mm. But I understand mm-hmm. that because we have failed to reach the standard we are trying to reach, we may sometimes act in ways that are wrong. That's what I'm trying to say. And I'm saying, yeah. personally, I'm also an imperfect human being with emotions. Mm-hmm. I could sometimes also act mm-hmm. in a way that I don't want to. Yeah, I, exactly. If I was in that situation, honestly, I wouldn't. I don't think I would have gotten up. But then again, I don't know the backstory. Maybe there's so much, so much in the backstory it. that would That's have led it. to the rage. But just from what I saw alone, it wouldn't have been enough for me to react in that way. 
I would have, I would totally have just been, I probably would have, what I would have done, I would have not laughed. Mm. Stephen Colbert actually said, it's like, no, if you really want to hurt a comedian, don't laugh at his joke. I mean, I probably would have looked at him stone faced. Which is what Jada did. And you could see it affected Chris. But yeah, like I said, there's various reasons. Will might have found it funny in the beginning before he remembered. Oh, yeah. wait. Oh, no, he's got a condition. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a lot of variables. Um, oh, yeah. So, that's the other thing. Sorry, I forgot, I forgot to mention earlier and you spoke about it earlier, which was um, the fact that some, so many people kept pointing the fact that like, why did Will laugh first? And then when Jada looked at him, that's when he got angry. Hey, Kahanti, that's the whole point. He didn't get angry on his own behalf. He got angry on Jada's behalf. So when he saw that she was hurt by the statement, Maybe it's something that he wouldn't have personally had thought at first that it would have been that deep, but he saw that how she was hurt. That's what would have affected him. And even if that's not what happened, like Phil said earlier, these are professional PR people. For decades, they have been in front of the camera. My man knows that you're sitting in the front row at the whatever, whatever. If a comedian cracks a joke at your expense, you laugh because that's what you got to do. Dance, monkeys, dance. But he could have been seething inside and you... and. People are just like, he found it funny at first. You don't know that. Shut up. So the, the other thing that I think we also need to highlight, and a lot of people don't seem to get is, there's no such thing as altruistic behavior. Right? Everything I disagree with do, you there. So, so let, me, let, me, let, me, let me state my point. I, I do believe like everything, especially in this instance, even what we described, everything we do is for self-preservation at a certain point, right? Because ultimately... If any partner, doesn't matter who it is, if, if you're a man and your woman is confronted in some situation and you don't protect her, she's not going to feel safe. And if she doesn't feel safe, she's going to come to you and be like, yo, I didn't feel safe in the situation. I no longer feel safe around you. That is a big turnoff. It might end up costing us our relationship or it is going to cost us our relationship. So to preserve your relationship, you have to, Sometimes show her that, yo, I got you. And it happens in small ways. And, and, and even made me appreciate it. Like you go to a restaurant, you make an order. Waitress comes over, she brings you the wrong order. It might even just be slightly raw. Like you, you're like, yo, please, no beans. She puts beans in there. You're like, you know, it's fine. I'll eat around the beans. I was like, mm, no, baby. Call, raises a hissy fit, calls the manager. Gets your free meal, this and third. As a man, you're like, oh, baby, you know what? You don't have to. But because you did, I really appreciate that. Thank you. We're going to have a great night tonight. You know what I mean? But in her mind, she's like, no, I need to let my man know that I got him. Because if I don't got him, who, who does? And vice versa. Right? Because ultimately, it's in your self-interest to show your other partner that you have their back. You get what I'm saying? So, so that's why I'm saying, so go, bring it back to this situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, I, I think at the root of it, of course, there are selfish intentions. The, ultimately, whether it was right or wrong in terms of their marriage is determined by how big that intersection in the Venn diagram is between Will Smith's self-interest and Jada Pinkett's self-interest, right? Which is why we are then asking ourselves, did she want or need that type of response? But all signs are pointing to that's what she wanted. Mm. So that's another thing. But the, the, I think the last thing I'll say, and I, I found this very interesting, is this happened, right? At the awards, Will Smith walks up and slaps a defenseless Chris Rock on stage, walks back to his seat. 
does not get escorted out. They go mm-hmm. to ad break. Titans of, of the black industry, Tyler Perry, Denzel Washington, immediately rush over to comfort Will first. Diddy runs over to comfort Will. Then they go speak to Chris. On social media, all the people, particularly the black comedian fraternity, have been defending Will. Mm. For the most part, the white comedians are defending Chris. Mm. I found that very interesting. Mm. Very interesting. Because mm. think about it. So, Sam, so, how so, many people have come out in support of Will? But, but, but you know, you, you, you know, Terry Crews is somewhere out there apologizing to all the white people. <laughs> I'm so sorry, bro. People. I'm so sorry. Let me my pecs dance. My pecs and dance. Look, look at my pecs. Look at my pecs. Okay, so um, it, it is quite interesting that most white people are commending Chris for remaining professional despite provocation, and that is also like a. Hmm, it's almost like that has always been the the messaging. But what I wanted to address is your issue of self-preservation. No. Just quickly, going back to that issue. I you've mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast where you where you've mentioned that every human being doesn't do anything altruistically. Even things that appear altruistic ultimately are for their own self-preservation. And that sounds nice and all neatly tied in a bow. But the thing is, often when we act, we don't think of step three, four, five, six. We think of step one. There are many times that it has happened to me and I, I know it has happened to other people where I would have done something where even if I, if I do think down the line, oh yes, this does benefit me in the sense that this person that I love will also love me more and that's good for me. That's true. But in the moment, I don't think that. In the moment, that thought doesn't even come up in my head. In the moment, all, the only thing I can think of is regardless of what happens to me, I care about this person. So that's why, to me, it doesn't make... Yes, if you were to follow... If you were, logically and academically, if you were going to follow each of the steps along the chain, ultimately it will benefit you to help someone who you love because that means then they also feed back into the love back to you. That's true. But in the moment of helping them, most people don't think that thing, which is why altruism does definitely exist, in my opinion. So I think you're you're signing like second order, third order impacts. I'm, I'm talking like, I'm not even talking that far. I'm talking instinctually because like, if my child is injured, I love my child, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're not denying that I love my child. If my child is under a car, I don't want to deal with the pain of my child having to die, having to bury my child. So I'm saving my child's life. Right? That's, that's what I'm saying, Phil. Yes, It's true so that, that you don't want to deal with the pain, but in the moment, no one thinks I'm going to have pain if they're hurt. What they think is no, they're think going it, to be no, hurt. I think it's ins- no, but what I'm saying is that it's ins- that okay. We we're, we're gonna deviate. This is yeah, gonna yeah, it's a, it's a deviation. Uh, it's debate. just that but, every but, time it's a deviation. I'm, well, because, what I'm saying is because it comes up every time I'm when saying, we're discussing something else, and I'm like, okay, that's not no, what we're but, talking about but, right but, now. But 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 what what I'm saying is ultimately at the end of the day, right? If you defend your woman. You'll feel good, like I defended my woman. Mm-hmm. I can stand behind my decision, right? I, I can stand behind my decision. Whether I was wrong to step on the Oscar stage, whatever it is, yeah, fine, find me, do whatever. But I defended my woman. I, I can stand behind that. And that, that's what you and I are agreeing on, right? Mm-hmm. We're saying, like, yo, even no matter the, what the consequences come, 
when those consequences come, we can take them and withstand them because we're like, yo, in my opinion, I did the right thing to do what it is to protect my woman, right? And that's why I'm saying that. That's altruistic behavior. So the flip side is people tend to, people can or have the ability to think that what they are doing is right when in fact it is not what the other partner wants. And as you explained, like we don't know if Jada viewed this as noble or she viewed it as toxic masculinity, Mm -hmm. right? Only Jada can define where that line is for her. And where she defines that line then determines how Will should react. And within that calculus, that's what I'm saying is Will is doing the best thing to preserve his marriage and make his woman happy because ultimately preserving his marriage and making his woman happy makes him feel happy. You get what I'm saying? Because the flip side on that is, and let me put this hypothetical here. Let's say that was Terry Crews on stage (laughs) and Terry Crews was... And Terry Crews was brandishing a gun. And Terry Crews had been disrespecting Jada Smith for years. Right? We're now in hypothetical city. Hypothetical mm-hmm. city. Right? But on the flip side, Jada's like, I don't believe in violence. No, no, no. Don't defend my honor with violence. And then Will goes on stage. He's not doing it for Jada's. Oh, he hasn't had the discussion with Jada yet. Mm-hmm. He goes on stage. Was raw. has come by he looks like that scene in Hitch when he has that allergic reaction. <laughs> Beaten to a pulp. Are we now... And then Jada comes out in the post-interview and says, I don't know what that idiot was doing on stage. I told him I don't want him to go up there. Why is he doing such a thing? Phil, do if we, you, do you, do you, you and I still If you say, lose the fight, you're you always the idiot. No, no. If you lose the fight, no, 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 no. you're always the idiot. No, I'm sorry. No, no, no. It is no, what no, it no. is. That, that, that's where we disagree. <laughs> no, 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 Dan. That's where we disagree. I'm telling there you. There are some fights you have to take. No, Dan. There are some fights you... Okay. 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 No, okay. Screw it's it. true. Let's, let's there are some, no, no. There are some no, wait, fights wait, you have to do. No. But if you lose... Let me, ah, let's, 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 let's go. Let's say you go to the cinema. You go, you go to the cinema. You see your woman. And there's a Your woman is looking gorgeous. Lovely. There's a group of three dudes. Start talking about your woman. Hey, look at that ass, this, that, and the third, being mad disrespectful throughout the movie. You're trying to hold it in. You're trying to control. She's like, baby, keep it calm. Baby, keep it calm. No, baby, ignore them, ignore them, ignore them. You're not leaving the movie. Ah, they continue to do it. One goes up, grabs her, grabs her behind. It's three on one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they've been disrespecting you for three hours. They've now physically assaulted your woman. You are going to lose that fight. You know before it even starts. Guys, I'm outnumbered. But are you still going to fight? Based okay. on the, the discussion you had earlier, so, you're so, like, yo, so that, I have that, to, I'm going to fight. No. That's different. Standing up in a situation where you're defending yourself. If she's physically being touched, you, you, go, you go down fighting. And that's noble, whatever the case is. Okay. However, Let's remove if, those, the, the touching, if those three people just were just, just chucking insults, and your girl says, don't do nothing. Let's just go. Leave it. It's not worth it. And you still go. You've messed up, man. Because not only did your woman get insulted, but she had the joy of watching her mans get pounded to a pulp in front of her. Leave him alone. Oh, leave him alone. No, please. Your only saving grace is if you land one or two. Otherwise, you're seeing flames. Un. So in a situation, yeah. oh, now don't get me wrong. If, if you losing. if you gotta defend yourself, fights worth losing. nah. If you gotta defend yourself, no, 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 no. you there go are down some swinging. Fights worth losing. 
If you got to defend yeah, your loved one, losing. you go down swinging. If you enter into the fight knowing you're going to lose, you're going to look like a punk. It is what it is. There's no <laughs> uh, it's, it's There late. are some <laughs> fights worth losing. You may think it's worth losing, but when you get home, she's going to be not only thinking about, damn, I can't believe they insulted me like that. And I had to watch my mans get his 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 whole behind handed to him. Nah, I'm sorry, bro. Sometimes, okay, nah, I'm the bigger man, you know. Nah, 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 baby. We're going to take the high road, baby. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Philip, let's, let's, uh, let's wrap this one up. Um, some new music. Any new music so you listen to, you, Philip? Makazi dropped two new singles off an upcoming project. Bangers, you know, my baby don't miss. Um, Nasty C had something new as album. well. <gasps> Ooh, do you know? Do you know the crazy thing is? Before this Will Smith drama, I was going to start the show with that. <laughs> and, and, and there's something new the from shots. our queen Kiki. Kiki, bad, bad. It's actually probably one of. The, it, it, I heard someone describe it as this today, and I kind of agree. It's probably the best song she's done, if not ever, at least in a very long time. I have I have some of my other favorites I, that I'm not it, sure of, but it's actually it, I'm quite. Run it. Let's, let's yeah. listen to the joint. All right, cool, 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 cool. So let me let me start with let me start with this song. Give me a sec while I pull it up. You see, we should be more organized, but we just got caught up in this Will Smith discussion. I'm I'm organized. Okay, while you do that. Fireboy is Fireboy is spicy. So, yes. for those of you that don't know, Rima dropped his debut album on Friday. Two days before, Fireboy dropped this, and woo! Just to remind y'all. Oof. Girl, you wanna play with a big playboy like me? Oof. Girl, you wanna play with a big playboy like me? Oof. Girl, don't flex with the boy. Your body is a mountain. She wanna roll with the man. Then when I drop, you know it's an anthem. Ah, ah. Girl, you wanna play with a big playboy like me? Ah. Girl, you wanna play with a big playboy like me? Pull up in the club with all my G's. When we outside, it's an all night scene. Yeah, them start to shake when they call my name. Don't play Jam. with What's Kiki saying there, my guy? So this is Kiki Badass's brand new song. It's called How Do I? Check it out. Yeah. So you know John produced it. Yeah. Yeah. How do I? How do I? How do I? How do I? Yeah. How do I? 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 How do I get up on the top of the world? Can you set it light? How do I? How do I win every year? But they're still like, yeah, right. How do I? How do I compete with the ones that I did when I'm dead right? I don't do this for the spotlight, but the UFO spotlight beaming on me. Too much convincing. You watch too much fiction. You watch who you dissing. You might end up missing, or you might end up for my window. All I need is a fair trade. I give you all of me. Now you give me my respect. And since we talk about me, let me tell you how we could have been a click, but we burn a couple bridges in the past. A few niggas missing on the cast. Take it to the script. I know a few said I wouldn't last. The very same ones I'm walking past. Moody safe, safe, moody safe, hit it. Combination ain't that if I safe, hit it. Can I move in my nudes and descend it? I tell the naked truth, me send it fit, vid it. 
How do I, how do I end up with the numbers when they're calling for my phone number? No name calling, so relax. How do I end up on the top? How do I get in the video? The video is also quite impressive. Shout out to Kiki Kiki for that one. Um, did you hear Enzo Aishel's new song? Well, it's now over a week old, but I mean, we didn't do music last week, so. His song, Aoi. <laughs> if you feel, if you feel it's worth running back. I just have a question. Yeah. But anyway. Your scarf more. Ahoy! I in my opinion, this is when Enzo Aishel shines his hardest. You know, the street anthems. Um, Enzo Aishel, by the way, is also on Shashel's new single. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there's Nasty C's new song. I think we can play out with that. Um, we play out with it. Cool, 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 cool. I think, yeah, the, the shots are poignant. If you know who he was shooting at. <laughs> Ooh. Who's he shooting uh, at? I'm not going to, I'm not going to say on the, I'm not going to say on air. But if you know, you know. It's, it's not hard. It's not hard to decipher. Hey, okay. If he's the one who's doing at? it. If he's the one who's doing it, then why are you, why are you mad? I mean, it's what fine. You? you know, you're not the one who's doing any no, shots. He doesn't mention them by name. Shot. Yeah, but no, you know who it is. So, name, so it's up to you. No, who do you think? You ask I don't know. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't give any thought to it. No, give me a guess. Just... You can sense it later. I literally don't know. I would have to listen to it again with that in mind. Okay. All right. Ah, that's all. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, anything I, I else? Think, you yeah, were, let, you were saying some other just, stuff? Ah, dude, there's so much music about it. It's, it's also going a little layer. Um, yeah, yeah. Nice. From the so African we'll standpoint, um, Coffee's dro- dropped her album, Banger. I love I love it. Um, new Big Crit album, but okay, that, that dropped a while ago. Um, this is a new artist called Hirsch from Cape Town. He, he dropped a song called If I Could, and he, he dropped an, an EP actually uh, called Peace of Mind. Really dope. Lucky Day's album, incredible. Uh, hey, there's so many songs, bro. But I think yeah, that what covers it. Um, yeah. All right, oh, thank the, you, boys and girls. Mr. So Jezik. a bumper episode for you. I mean, we had our part one of the interview with Leroy Gopal, and of course, an in-depth discussion of probably the most spoken about. It's wild, Phil. There's a whole war going on, and the whole world was like, ah, okay, cool, 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 hold on for a sec. But comfort is slipped, and then back to the war. No, it's but just, uh, also, but when you when you think about it, the war has though there's, there's only like two parties discussing the war, really. The rest of the, especially like Africa and black people, they were like, oh, fam, that after after certain things came to light, they were like, ah, that's your guy's problem. It's just you wonder you. That's not it's not our business. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Anyway, so we we are gonna get out of here. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, as per usual, we appreciate your support. TwobrokeTimbos.com forward slash donate. Please hit us up. Help us out. Give us some bags, some bundles. 
You can sign up to the Patreon and join the the exclusive WhatsApp group, which is full of great discussions. You should have been there when we were talking about uh, the, the morning of the Will Smith slap. It was lovely times. Lovely times just hearing the feedback from people in there. Um, and, you know, you, you know, Phil, the, the conversation we had with Cynic, it was, it was beautiful to hear people's mm. appreciation of that interview. Mm. You know? Yeah. And look at them thinking that we prepare. You know, the funny thing is, and uh, not to disrespect anything, yeah, we prepared a little, but a lot of that stuff was just from memory. Because... Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, I was a little prepared, we, but we, also we, a lot of it is just, we, 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 we actually we, know him. We've done... have been we've, around we, with we, him. We, so. we, we, we are woven into the fabric of the culture. You know, these are... You, you can't erase our, our contributions to the streets. You know what I'm saying? So if, if you appreciate the interviews or you appreciate just our takes on some of these things, or even if you disagree with them, just tubrocktumbles.com forward slash donate, throw us a bag. Mm. Uh, it could be a once-off donation. You could sign up to the Patreon. I mean, just put on a little bit of money per month. It won't hit you, mm. but it will definitely help us. Yeah. Um, alternatively, you can also support us just by retweeting, sharing, liking. So you got to do, and then the algorithms and the different places will make sure that people can see us and we would appreciate your support there. Drop a comment on whatever app you use. If you've got a disagreement, for example, you think Phil is a violent man because of his take on this, drop a comment on there on the, on the Apple Music, but make sure it comes with a five-star review. Um, yeah, so we're going to sign out with a brand new song that both Phil and I are loving from Nasty C. It's called Can't Imagine. And uh, we will catch you in the next episode. We out. <laughs> I'm in the league where you niggas never existed at all Y'all never knew this was possible, but y'all swear y'all deserve it I've been flying the flag while y'all analyzing my turbulence Y'all can cross me on purpose, but y'all know all of y'all purposeless I'm the motherfucking of army, thank me all for my services You bunch of suburban kids, bitch, you know you ain't hurting It's shit, when I feel unsatisfied with the game, I refurbish it Then you sit on my furniture like your grandmother purchased it Getting too comfortable, and watch your words, kid I keep my weapon on me cause I got some enemies I'ma stop confronting niggas right by some witnesses Cause God forbid they touch me then we all catching sentences And I don't trust my shooters neither, they on some vicious We keep our distances, minding our businesses Smile when they filming us cause we hide behind innocence Cause we popping like blemishes, special treatment at embassies Here at home and overseas Me at 30, power tweeting in my room about a dude and being so over the moon about it. While in my bank, I'm seeing O's a lot and not the ones we boast about and post about how I'm making the move about it just to be him soon about it. And cross my fingers, I just hope that he won't have nothing to do about it.